Live. Kasa live, you guys. Happy Saturday to everybody out there. Thank you, everyone in the chat, for joining us. Adam, Mr. <laughs> Breeze Tones, I see you. Skip, thanks for being here. Homicidal Maniac is here. Green Eyed Lady. Adrian Bradley. Addie Tooney is here. Thank you guys for joining us this week. It is officially Saturday. That is Kasa Live Day. This is my favorite day of the week. It's my favorite day, you guys. All right. What do you say we get things started here with some hey, how are yous? Alex, how you doing? Still cold. Still cold. <laughs> cold yep. and shaggy. Gosh. Okay, cool. Short and sweet. Cold and shaggy. I'm, I'm, I'm taking my I'm taking my COVID care into the endemic phase. So we're gonna rock that as long as <laughs> as long as people around me can tolerate it. I'm a, I'm just excited to see where you're at next year then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kristen, hey, how are you? I'm good. Uh, not much going on. Uh, I was supposed to meet my grandbaby this week, but uh, we had some illness in the house. My other daughter was stuck home for most of the week this week. She didn't have COVID, but they don't let you back to school if you have any kind of symptoms of anything. So, um she uh so she was home all week she was loving that <laughs> but i'm hoping next weekend i get to meet the the grandbaby so that'll be good Ooh, very exciting it's always exciting when you get to meet the newest addition to the family yeah we only had pictures so far so <laughs> yeah that'll be awesome i'm excited for you yeah i'm with alex in the it's just been cold last week uh so monday here in here in Batavia, New York, Western New York. Here we get all the lake effect snow. Monday it was just like here's 20 inches of snow, all in a day. In like in like 18 hours, it just dumped 20 inches of snow on us. So my whole week was just like clearing snow, taking care of stuff, and then we had ice, and it was just a mess. So yeah, my week was just cold, cold and shaggy. I'm with you, man. I'm desperate <laughs> for a trim right now, and I had an appointment this last week, and I was like, I'm not gonna. I'm in the snow. I can't come. <laughs> so yeah, I got to reschedule the trim. So I'm with you, with you in the cold and shaggy department. All right. Well, if Alex is ready, are you ready? I'm ready. You look ready. All right. Let's get into some legislation, you guys. All right, Captain, where are we at right now? What do we need to keep our eyes and ears on? Captain, my captain. Oh, well, captain, my captain. <laughs> I think I think we'll go. Uh, yeah, we'll go coast to coast on this one. So we'll start Ooh. off in Maine um, with Portland, Maine. Um, I think we we talked about all of this last week. So here's some updates. Um, I, I think I was I having trouble with this. I was having trouble updating things um, uh, this morning, but. Um, so we had a, a first reading of the ordinance this week on the 19th. Um, it was it was really basic. They really just read the title of the ordinance and said, this will come back to us later. So we are waiting for the comeback Success. later portion. Yeah. <laughs> um, so any kind of, uh, as we noted on our engagement here, um, uh, written public comment is or was being accepted for this first reading, the next hearing will uh, have actual public testimony spoken, et cetera. Um, so uh, in the interim, uh, we have our engagement up. 
feel free to use this to contact uh, local lawmakers uh, directly. Um, and uh, I need to, uh, I think there's some links on the agendas and minutes uh, about sending emails for written comment, but I believe that's sort of come and gone. So um, always good idea to reach out to your lawmakers and you can use our form to do that. And we'll update this as, uh, as we get more information about the hearing date. Um, so that is Portland, Maine. Um, the other main issue is going to be the return of the flavor ban. And uh, we had this on our site last year. Uh, the bill was LD1550. Um, that bill, it, this, you know, everything gets carried over from odd number of years to even number of years uh, in most states. So uh, LD1550 is still alive. But we've got a new bill. Um, this is LD1693. Uh, it's, it's got a lot of stuff in here. And I'll just show you where the uh, flavor legislation is. This is on uh, about midway through page 15, uh, part D. Uh, and this is the ban on flavored tobacco products, which includes vaping. Um, and uh, this is, there's just a ton of other stuff in here. Um, it, it, this, this almost feels like a budget bill. Um, maybe it is, and I'm just not uh, experienced enough to pick that out by looking over it quickly. Um, but you can see we're in here with a lot of other stuff. Um, so uh, anyway, that always makes it complicated because it's kind of difficult for folks to oppose an entire bill like this. Uh, but certainly people's communications to lawmakers asking them to remove this language is helpful. Um, generally stating that you're opposed to a flavor ban is helpful. Um, and as I noted, and we'll get this updated on the site early next week, uh, we are uh, scheduled for a public hearing on this piece of legislation on February 4th at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. I'm not really sure. I got two different times from the state website. So, um, look for some updates on that. Again, that is LD1693. And as I mentioned, LD1550 is still alive and kicking. Um, moving right along to the middle of the country, uh, Colorado, <laughs> I'm sorry, the, the what? <laughs> middle of the country. The middle of the country. Yeah, well, I any of you folks living more in the middle ish area of the I, country. I, I, I I'm going to say that's what I am from now on. I'm going to say I'm not a Midwesterner. I'm a middle-er. I'm a middle-er. <laughs> middle-er. <laughs> I created a monster. Um, I didn't arrange these by geography, so I see I have Indiana below Colorado. So if I'm going east to west, then I'm sort of skipping over the middle. And right, you're not yeah. in the middle. You're just more middler. It's just a little more middle. Colorado is a little more middle than you know Utah. So all right, wait. So where are we doing Colorado? Okay. Right. Um, I I don't even know. The flavor ban for Colorado is that what you're doing? Yes. Okay. <laughs> we're not we're not redesignating any geography geographic point. I, want, or, I don't know what you want me to not, do. I'll I'll share the link. I just want to know which link I'm sharing. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, we're doing Colorado. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is HB twenty two ten sixty four. Uh, probably just HB ten sixty four. Um, twenty two is just the year. 
so uh, this is a flavor ban. Uh, this and they re redefined tobacco to include nicotine from any source. Uh, this was introduced on the 14th. It was assigned to the Health and Insurance uh, Committee. Here is the bill page on your screen, uh, and here is the Health and Insurance Committee. Uh, you can follow upcoming committee hearings. Um, we are not in either of these in January. Uh, oh, I didn't even look to see February 1st and 2nd. Uh, but as far as I know, there is, we're not scheduled for a hearing yet for this. Um, so this is all uh, early alert here. Um, but like we mentioned last week, this is, um, you know, the state uh, this has been cooking for a while, I'm sure, but uh, uh, emboldened by the Denver mayor vetoing uh, a Denver uh, ban on flavored products uh, and now taking it to the state, apparently taking to heart his comment that this should be regulated by the state. So uh, we will update that as we get word about a committee hearing uh, and maybe get an engagement up early so people can start contacting lawmakers, but no big push until we get any real assurances that this is coming to a hearing. Moving back a little bit geographically, Indiana. Um, we uh, noted this on our podcast last week and really no substantive updates. Uh, this got a first reading on the 11th and it is referred to the Committee on Public Policy. Uh, if you are playing the vaping legislation home game, you can check back on this to see when and if this bill is scheduled for a hearing. Uh, of course, we'll be monitoring this as well. And so maybe you can just tune into our website and see what's up. Um, either way, there it is. Nothing has happened since last week. It's just there. <laughs> it is oh, I guess I should skip down to Mississippi uh, if we're sticking with the geographic theme here. <laughs> Um, is in the middle area. This middle or southerner area. So, yeah. It's it's a little South bit more gulfy. Louisiana is a little gulfy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, this was, uh, Kristen included this in our uh, our tweets this week and, and ultimately the, 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 um, the weekly kind of review post, the blog post. Um, uh, a bill has been introduced in Mississippi. Here's the bill. Um, this would include uh, vapor products in the state's existing 15% excise tax on other tobacco products. That's tobacco products other than cigarettes. Um, you know, to be perfectly honest, uh, if this wasn't a, a tax hike, a new tax, um, this is sort of in line with that uh, you know, regulation proportionate to risk. Other tobacco products in Mississippi are taxed at a lower rate than cigarettes. Um, but this is a new tax and there's really no justification for implementing new taxes on safer nicotine products. Um, so this is SB 2062. Uh, this was introduced on the 6th and referred to the Senate Finance Committee. Again, like the others, waiting for word on when a hearing will be scheduled. Um, and we'll keep you updated on that one. Now I can get to the West Coast. Oh, wait, no, I should probably go straight up and uh, visit Michigan. Um, uh, Mark Sliss, I believe he's tuned in here today, uh, dropped a note in the chat last week that the Thai Bard 
tobacco legislation is indeed back uh, and it needs a little bit of work in terms of language. Uh, if, you know, if it doesn't get worked out, they're facing a flavor ban in Michigan. Um, so the bills that we were opposed to last time um, may or may not be something that we either support or just back away from uh, because the uh, alternative is a flavor ban. Uh, so watching that to see what's happening. Uh, thank you, Mark, for all of the updates. Um, and uh, we'll update our uh, alerts and engagement as we get more information. Okay, now finally, yeah, we get that, to was, that was Michigan, right? That is Michigan. Yeah, I don't have a bunch of bill numbers. There is something uh, I think that was heard last week. Um, uh, 720 was the bill number. Uh, and uh, as far as I understand it, that basically included the the harm reduction discount uh, or the MRTP tax discount language. Um, so, you know, okay with that. Um, yeah. So I don't have a list of bills for you yet, but um, all we know is it's why there's no link in the chat. So I have no link to share you guys. <laughs> yeah. I don't have anything really to add there. Um, That's so the earliest this. of early heads up. Uh, it's pretty early. link for it. It's pretty early, but I won't yeah, tell you. Yeah, this is like it's word early. of mouth early. <laughs> um, so uh, where did I go? I didn't I didn't get a page up for um, Washington, but I can. So let me do that real quick, and then I'll uh, share my screen again. Uh, I just I pulled you out of there because you you switched to a state, a different state. <laughs> yeah, now I don't know. Can you put me back in? It says I can. On, oh, wait. There we go. It was a view thing. I got gotcha. you. So um, SB 5768, this is in Washington state. Uh, this would impose, this would direct the Department of Public Health to promulgate a rule establishing a limit on nicotine allowed in vapor products. It would also ban the use of nicotine salts. Uh, January 11th, this was introduced and had a first reading and it was referred to the Senate Health and Long-Term Care Committee. Uh, we are not on an agenda at the moment, but if you see this little thing up here on your screen, if you are a Washington resident, uh, you can go ahead and comment on this bill. Uh, Washington State is one of those legislatures that uh, actually seems to appreciate citizen engagement in the le legislative process, and so they have this handy comment option. Uh, and there you go. So uh, Washington State residents only, please. Uh, all others, organizations, whatever, you have to send a regular old email. Um, but um, there's that, and we'll keep tabs on this. Obviously, nicotine caps and banning nicotine salts does not work in favor of the overall harm reduction and encouraging people to switch to products that they enjoy. So uh, Washington State SB 5768. Um, the other thing about this bill that I noticed was this would require manufacturers to provide a list of ingredients and uh, product elements which may be inhaled. Uh, this list would be managed by the University of Washington School of Public Health. I don't know how publicly viewable these things are. Um, I know other states have sort of attempted to do this. Uh, obviously, manufacturers of any product are going to be a little bit skittish about disclosing, um, for example, recipes. 
proprietary information, um, even though, you know, e-liquid is pretty much all open and out there and you can make your own at home to mimic or replicate what uh, you're used to in name brands. Uh, it's still something that you don't really want the state putting out there. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a matter of being cagey or anything like that. It's just proprietary information. So uh, I, I'm not quite sure how far that's going to get. Um, it, it looks a lot like uh, sort of making a big stink about, you know, uh, well, there's, it's all it's dangerous and we should make sure that people know it's dangerous. And so you got to put that out there, you know, whatever. Um, and I'm sure there's some precedent for this. I, I, I just don't know about it, but that struck me as, as a little extra. So, um, uh, yeah, again, SB 5768 in Washington state, and we'll keep you updated on that. The other one was the tax bill. Um, no update on the next hearing, uh, for the tax, bill. I don't even have the number in front of me, but um, that happened last week, and we encourage people to uh, just use the state's form and register your opposition. Uh, and as I mentioned last week, the, uh, the, the no's outnumbered the yays by, uh, by at least 100 comments or 100 people who, who filled out that form. So thank you for everybody who participated uh, and, and opposed that. Okay. Finally. Uh, I didn't get Hawaii on here, by the way, Kristen. So um, I, I, I can't remember what's going on in Hawaii. And it's an uh, annual flavor ban attempt. Right, an annual so, <laughs> flavor ban cool. attempt. I guess we'll come back to that and see uh, where, we get, where we can get involved. Um, yeah, I don't think it's on anything yet. I think they're still talking about it. But there's information. There's a link <laughs> in the uh, blog post that you guys can check out if you're in Hawaii. Cool. So we'll update that. Um, California, Sacramento County is moving forward with a flavor ban. Uh, we are looking at likely adoption next week. Uh, I think that is, let's see what day is the 25th on Tuesday. Um, yeah, so, uh, here's the agenda. If anybody wants to, uh, check it out, um, there's no, this isn't a public hearing. There's really, it doesn't look to be public comment. Um, this is likely just a vote and finalizing it. This affects the unincorporated areas of Sacramento County. Um, so if you live in one of those areas and frequent a vape shop in one of those areas, uh, it seems like practically a done deal that flavors will not be allowed to be sold in those places anymore. Um, and I, in the city of Sacramento, this is, you know, California is doing the thing where the big city and the big county, they ha harmonize their rules and uh, whatever. We get an impending public health disaster. So way to go, Sacramento County. Um, <laughs> here is the language in the ordinance, just in case you wanted to check and make sure this really is a flavor ban. And that is Sacramento County. If you live in Sacramento County, feel free to reach out to your lawmakers. I don't believe, um, I think we, we've had things up for Sacramento County um, in their Sacramento or Sacramento County in the past, um, but I don't believe we have anything active at the moment, no. So uh, we don't have anything up on our site for this, um, but, uh, but there it is. That will conclude the legislative rundown. Yeah, you couldn't have said that with any more positivity. Impending public health disaster. <laughs> you know, I just calls them how I sees them. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's exactly what it is. That's absolutely exactly what it is.
All right. Well, you did that uh, briskly, swiftly, and fantastically. I don't know. I'm out of I'm out of adjectives now. We've made up so many that I can't even think of any actual adjectives at this point. So we will move swiftly along if we're ready for some takes. Let's do it. Doing it. All right, me first and the gimme gimmies. I'm going first. All right, here. So this week, uh, my take is going to be about secondhand vaping. Secondhand vaping at home. This is a study published in uh, BMJ Thorax. Secondhand nicotine vaping at home and respiratory symptoms in young adults. There's no actual study here. I'm assuming this is paywalled somewhere, and I don't want to pay the wall to actually see it. But there is a press release for it. Uh, which goes into some more detail about this study. But really, what we want to take a look at is not the study itself or the press release. I mean, I'm sure a lot of us do want to take a look at the actual study. If if somebody wants to pay the wall and send it my way, cool. Uh, but what we're going to take a look at here is secondhand vaping risks. Don't justify, oh, everything in blue. Don't justify public e-cigarette restrictions. Uh, This is from the American Council on Science and Health. This is by Cameron English. Uh, That study, I believe, came out on like the 10th, and this is a few days later, this commentary on it. New studies suggest that e-cigarette users, known also as vapors, may harm the respiratory health of those around them via secondhand vaping. Before we draw any conclusions, the paper has some real-world limitations that restrict its relevance has some important limitations that restrict its relevance to the real world. Um, So again, he goes through this study. I have not picked this whole thing apart, but I did read his tidbits down here about limitations. Uh, And I think these are, this is kind of what we want to focus on. The majority or a majority of the participants, 76, 76 uh, to 93.1% who had secondhand nicotine vape exposure during any of the study waves was also likely to have personal use of tobacco or cannabis products or secondhand exposure to combustible products. So that's a big limitation right out of the gate um, when you're studying the respiratory health of people uh, who may be exposed to secondhand vaping if they are currently possibly uh, smoking, via, whether that be tobacco or cannabis products as well. So this, uh, we're going to share this. Kristen, you've got all the links um, to everything here. So we'll share this for everybody that can read through this, wants to check this study out. And then we've got another uh, expert look at, this is from Science Media Center, expert reactions to that study as well. Uh, Professor, I can never say his last name, Leon, is it Shahab? Sounds about right. I think it's he's a I, I've seen his uh, stuff in a lot of these reactions to uh, studies here as well. Uh, first, as a purely observa- observational study, these findings cannot establish a causal association. Uh, and he goes into a number of reasons why here as well. And then Peter Hajek, who I think a lot of us are familiar with, also I, gave his reaction and the limitations. While the health risks of e-cigarettes to vapors themselves have been estimated 
at up to 5% of the health risks of smoking, health risks to bystanders are most likely reduced by a much bigger margin and most likely altogether. This is because e-cigarettes release no chemicals into the environment themselves, only what users exhale, and such exhalation has so far not been shown to generate any toxicants at levels that could conceivably affect the health of bystanders. Um, I was going to bring up a study. Oh, I'll get out of this here. Uh, I was going to bring up a study that was done as well years ago in a vape shop where they measured uh, levels of toxicants in like a really cloudy vape shop uh, and nothing came back at any levels that would cause harm to to people around. So we've been talking about secondhand vapor, you know, since basically the beginning of vaping um, and every step along the way when someone tries to prove that this secondhand vapor, the PG and VG that you exhale is going to hurt everyone in your house and in your entire apartment complex. Uh, it, it's just not a, it's just not a thing. It's not a real thing. Um, I mean, secondhand vapor is a real thing, but it harming anyone is, is most certainly um, all the evidence up to this point is points towards no, just points towards no. Yeah. Equals zero. Um, I mean, you want to talk about fourth hand vapor risks though. Now that's, <laughs> That's some serious grounds for conversation, but really this is just another, uh, you know, wishful thinking attempt at trying to point out secondhand vapor risks to particularly young adults. Again, a lot of limitations in observational studies like this and all the evidence, better evidence uh, points to there's just no risk to bystanders. Maybe someday we can bury this myth, but today apparently is not that day. <laughs> That's it. That's my take. Secondhand vapor. It's just, it's just not a thing. It's not a thing that people need to concern themselves with. Yeah. And the expert, I love the, how fast the expert uh, response. The expert reaction came out like, the same day, like yeah, Peter Hayjax and, and, uh, and Leon Shahabs. That was January 10th. Like that study came out the 10th and they were right on it. Yeah. So if well, you guys right see anybody spouting BS about, about uh, secondhand vape, just, Save that link, put it in a yeah. notepad or something. It's, it's just, just copy not a and thing. paste it. <laughs> it's just not <laughs> a thing. I mean, <laughs> we can get into secondhand smoke studies and and how blown out of proportion most of those are and inaccurately reported most of those are. Uh, again, Velvet Glove, Iron Fist, fantastic book. Um, what is it? Uh, the Rediscovery of Tobacco, Jacob Greer's book. Jacob Greer, we had on the show talking about that book. Um the secondhand vapor is another or secondhand smoke, excuse me, is another one. Really, you're talking decades when it comes to serious harms from secondhand smoke. You're talking about people who live with uh, someone who smokes heavily for decades. A lot of research in that field shows, you know, when you're talking about smoke outdoor bans, somebody smoking next to you, your potential risk is is a, is basically zero. We talk about vapor. I mean, the risk there is just zero. I don't want to say zero because nothing is absolutely zero, it's right? But I mean, it's so, so minusculely marginal that it's just not there. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, that's my take. <laughs> that's my take. I didn't want to ramble on about secondhand smoke too, but I guess I, I guess I did. <laughs> You're opening up a can of worms. I know, man. That's why I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to close the can. I'm going to close the can and pass my take on to you. Cool. 
So I'm going second. And uh, for my take this week, I decided to do kind of a twofer here. Um, this is the uh, new Tobacco Wars, which is a, a presentation um, by Clive Bates at e-cigarette summits, uh, last year's e-cigarette summit. Uh, highly recommend everybody go and watch this. It's not very long. And Clive Bates, as always, does an excellent job of articulating the points here. Um, and shout out to Michelle Minton for putting that on my radar because she tweeted about it. And <laughs> yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for reminding me of that. I, I, I didn't write that in my notes, but thanks, Michelle, for sharing that. Um, one of the things uh, that I'm sort of keying off on here is, is, is Clive uh, stating reasons for optimism. And as uh, Apathy Miller noted earlier in the chat, uh, even just being kind of a basic advocate in favor of uh, THR is very stressful. Um, it is demoralizing and uh, just on a daily basis, absolutely frustrating and stressful and depressing to see people uh, trafficking in innuendo and lies designed to mislead people about safer alternatives to smoking. Um, but uh, especially those of us who've been doing this for a while, uh, we have to grab on to any little nuggets of hope. Um, and uh, some of that is, uh, I think, sort of baked into the products, as, as I think Clive notes. Uh, he makes a comparison to the music industry uh, in this video. And he's sort of going from analog recordings, you know, your, your, your records, your tapes, and so on, uh, and then the evolution of the medium uh, in, in using CDs and then streaming and the cloud. And, and as technology evolves, the user experience improves. And so now, you know, we can take our entire music library on a little brick in our pocket and uh, listen to it anywhere. You, I don't know if they still do it, but you used to be able to, like, when you'd call for an Uber, you could request certain music on their Spotify, uh, depending on, I guess, the driver and whatever services they had signed up for. Um, so all of that to say, at each stage of this evolution in technology for music, the consumer realizes a benefit. And uh, the same thing is happening broadly in the tobacco space. So as the technology improves, we are now capable of producing on a massive scale products like e-cigarettes, like nicotine pouches, like Swedish snus. Um, we've been producing smokeless tobacco for, you know, more than a century, centuries. Uh, but, it, you know, the evolution of these products to the point where people can now consume nicotine with very little fear of, uh, of, of, of uh, dire health consequences, consumers realize a benefit. And over time, just like, you know, uh, you know, cigarettes are going to go the way of the A-track. That's, that's the way to look at this. Whether policymakers are on board with it or not, this is what will happen. The market, the consumers, we're going to be the ones making the decision. And policy needs to catch up with this to maximize any public health benefit. And right now, it's just not. But, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's we... we we are headed in that direction. It's just a longer term thing. And I, you know, I've been trying to kind of remind people about this for years. You know, when you when people first come to vaping and they get all excited about quitting smoking and how this is a godsend and this has revolutionized everything, uh, and then they, they find out that everything's sort of against them, 
people come into advocacy expecting immediate changes. Uh, and this is not the case. It's, it's really not the case with any issue. Um, it's, it's very difficult, I think, to kind of separate ourselves from all the action and activity that we see on TV. You know, if you hear about an issue on the, the nightly news, and all of a sudden it's, you know, there's a bill in Congress and it looks good and it's going to pass and the world is going to change. Just keep in mind that people have probably been working for a decade or more on passing that legislation. Um, and so, you know, even with things like the Build Back Better plan, uh, you know, all of the, the you know, the, 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 the progressive dreams that are being included in that, those policies have been developed and debated at the local and state level. And now it's made it all the way up to the federal level for probably more than a decade. So, well, marijuana, the war on drugs started like in the 70s with Nixon. And so basically marijuana is just now finally being legalized in places. So it's, it's uh, just how long that took. Yeah, arguably even earlier than that. This happened yeah. in the, the, what is it, 30s and 40s? Um, I'd say a cannabis prohibition was uh, in the 20s, 1922. Oh, okay. I mean, we outlawed opium in 1909. Uh, the smoking of opium. I mean, yeah, when you, the war on drugs the is war on drugs. June of 1971 is when he declared the war on drugs. That's but, what you I know, meant. We've, we've prohibited and, and yeah. you know, whatnot with drugs long before that. We just we just militarized our police force against them and, and, and called it a war, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And the same is true for the people who we sort of identify as opponents in all of this. They've worked for decades to get tobacco policy where it is today no matter how destructive it, it is turning out to be um, with regard to the access to safer products, they fought for decades to get there. Uh, and so this is, it, it's, it's really important to take, you know, a longer view of progress uh, in order to, I think, kind of keep, keep ourselves in the game, uh, to keep getting out there and advocating for what we know is true. Um, and so, uh, my, you know, my other note about this is, you know, ultimately, I don't, I don't actually believe there are a lot of policies. I mean, some really basic stuff, right? As a consumer, I want to know that the products I'm consuming aren't going to kill me when I use it um, and uh, that things are clean, make, you know, uh, uh, made in a clean sanitary facility. And we got a lot of spammers in chat today. Um, yeah, I'm getting them. <laughs> good job. Get them. Get them, Kristen. Um, so anyway, um, that, uh, you know, really, if, if people are allowed to decide for themselves, I think eventually, as I mentioned, this will, the cigarettes are just going to go the way of the, the rotary dial and the, the eight track cassette, uh, and people will make the decision to switch to safer products. Similarly, um, the, the full title of my take here is the new tobacco wars and the CDC of Ali Lai. Um, and I, I wanted to highlight Mark Gunther's, um, post on uh, Medium uh, this week, uh, going over the fact that, um, you know, again, we all know this story, right? CDC was the uh, late organization to acknowledge that this was coming from vitamin E acetate, um, but uh, the CDC is still sticking to this kind of misinformation game. They're frequently asked questions about the lung injury cases uh, has not been updated to specifically point to illicit THC products. Um, it still is confusing and throws in vaping and e-cigarettes uh, as 
the generally the cause. Uh, and I, I looked through this FAQ and, and didn't really, I don't, I don't remember seeing things about, um, you know, that these products are purchased on the underground market. Uh, it, it just kind of talks about all the harm and danger. Um, oh, we got questions about flu season. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, if you're afraid of getting sick, switch to vaping. How about that? There's <laughs> some good advice for you. Um, so, you know, the, the, the sort of larger discussion here, and, and I, I don't know how much of this I'm sort of superimposing on, on, on Mark's coverage of this, uh, or, you know, and how much of this is, is certainly my own opinion. Um, and and I, I know that, you know, we all, a lot of us share this opinion. Getting back to that sort of taking the longer view of progress, uh, we also kind of need to look at the longer view of consequences. Um, you know, the CDC is supposed to be an organization that we can all trust. They are the, the, the agency that alerts the nation about communicable diseases, for example, COVID-19 um, or Ebola and other things. And so in that role, the CDC has to maintain a level of credibility uh, that I think it should be rather unimpeachable. Um, they're not doing that with regard to tobacco products. And certainly the public's confusion about how science works uh, and how science is updated regularly. And in the case of a, of a pandemic, um, updated frequently. Um, the, the, the changing uh, advisories coming out of CDC have been confusing and have led to a level of distrust that is arguably dangerous. Uh, and it's hard to defend the CDC when I guess at least one of their, you know, centers or uh, a department within the organization is openly misleading people about safer alternatives to smoking. Um, I, I would love to be able to be in that camp of saying, yeah, I trust everyone at CDC. I have the utmost respect for what they're doing. And I, I can't, I can't do it because the agency as a whole allows CDC tobacco free to continue misinforming the public about safer alternatives to smoking. Uh, and, and this is dangerous and there are long-term consequences for this. Um, as a remedy, I, I, I would say this entire FAQ needs a rewrite uh, and it needs to pay attention to the actual source um, as it, reads now, uh, just picking apart the language on a word-by-word -word kind of basis, uh, there is the suggestion from the CDC that vitamin E acetate has actually been used in nicotine e-liquids. Um, this is categorically false. Uh, otherwise, you'd call that a lie. Um, and uh, we've, we've certainly talked to people, I, I remember at the beginning uh, or near the near uh, when uh, the uh, lung injury cases reached kind of a fever pitch. I remember speaking to somebody, I was on their podcast about, you know, and asking that someone who manufactured e-liquid at one point, we've established this, there is absolutely no benefit to adding vitamin E acetate or any oil-based liquid to an e-liquid. Consumers don't want it. Manufacturers don't save money on it. It doesn't improve the product quality. It doesn't There's even no work point. with yeah. devices. There is absolutely no point in adding it to nicotine e-liquids. And yet the CDC the organization that is supposed to be the most credible authority in all of the land about communicable and non-communicable diseases continues to fan the flames of this lie that this ingredient may have ended up in nicotine products. It didn't. So 
the the uh, sorry, I'm, it's like looking. I got this hair. You have this rooster tail happening in the back, and I think it's just. I think it's stellar. <laughs> you just threw a laugh. I set myself up for all this. I didn't mean to derail you. I just want to know. How, uh, oh, no, I did it's it. Kind of I amazing. Did it. I own it. I'm you jealous because I'm bald. So I'm jealous of your rooster tail. <laughs> anyway, back to the CDC. These bastards. Um, <laughs> I, this entire FAQ needs a rewrite. The CDC needs to come out. This is kind of in, in line with what, with what Mark Gunther is suggesting here. You know, we need... We need this agency to come out and clearly state, I mean, forcibly state that this came from illicit THC cartridges. It was not found in nicotine products. These lung injuries are not the result of nicotine vaping. The data bear that out. People know it. More people need to know it. Uh, and we need to correct the misperceptions of risk, which is something that both, I think, Mark Gunther and Clive Bates have noted repeatedly we have all been saying this for it probably a decade now or more that the risk communication around these products is wrong and agencies like the cdc have a vital role in aligning the public perception of risk with reality as opposed to what they're doing now which is fanning the flames of hysteria and moral panic and not serving the public interest Right. That's I mean, my, we had, my we had what, at the, at the, at the peak of that, or at the, you know, kind of the conclusion, because once, once, you know, FDA kind of put out their thing and we started spreading it around, we didn't see a, a whole lot more after we kind of hit that peak. It was like a few thousand people uh, with lung injuries. We 68 or 70 ish uh, people died as a result of this. Um, but when, when CDC isn't making these corrections and during the height of that, the, the information they were putting out was to the wrong consumers. You had people who were using uh, nicotine products, you know, e-cigarettes and thinking, oh, my gosh, this is going to kill me, uh, went back to smoking. And then you had people who were out actively buying these products that were killing people who were not getting informed, who were thinking, no, this product I'm buying is fine. It's e-cigarettes I need to stay away from. And you know, going about their day using this product. And, and yeah, I mean, it was, it, it's just a huge, massive mess. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think, you know, if, if, if I'm somebody working at a prestigious government agency like the CDC, I would want to know that, so, you know, you kind of got to do the postmortem on the reaction to this issue. And so one of those questions I think has to be how many of those 68 people who died, um, could still be alive if the CDC took action sooner, roughly around the time that FDA did, and yeah. clearly warned people about illicit THC products. And I, I, this bears repeating because responsibility is also on the media for this. When the CD, when the FDA updated their guidance to their advisory to consumers, which was specifically do not buy THC cartridges and generally don't buy, you know, e-cigarettes. Also, but don't buy THC cartridges from informal sources. Yeah. Uh, this is clearly pointed to where the issue was. On that day, the NBC Nightly News covered the story about the lung injury cases increasing, but failed to mention FDA's updated advisory. They stuck with the CDC on this one. They had been reporting on what FDA was doing until this point. And as soon as FDA strayed from the narrative, NBC stopped reporting the news. So it, it's, yeah, 
it's it's ridiculous so we, what has happened and and i think that that people at cdc should probably be held accountable like everybody else yeah. would be uh for their mis misstep i think that's giving them a little bit more credit than they're due um but for uh, ne neglecting to update this inf this very important information to the public in a timely manner that may have saved lives yeah it absolutely i agree with you it absolutely had definitely would have it would have saved or at least it would have lowered the rate of injury just the the overall you know number of people so we have two questions like skip i did see you so i'm going to come back to your question but i had a question then ian pretty much wrote it out too uh is their position based on the self-reported instances of evali where they reported only using nicotine vapes and that was kind of my question too how do we because i keep seeing this where people are like evali was you know that's it was, you know, illicit THC was vitamin E. Well, that doesn't explain the the whatever percentage that reported that they didn't that they only use nicotine vapes. Now I know rationally we're all like, well, yeah, they just lie, <laughs> you know. But they keep using that, and I don't know what to use as an argument to that other than so well, they must one be of the, lying. One of the wait, 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 wait. Before we go on, first of all, I wanna I wanna correct, I, I try to correct or massage the language here a little bit. That's 16% of people who uh, we don't really know whether what they were using. Rather than pointing to them as liars, I would say they opted to not disclose their substance use for no, well, yeah. very obvious reasons. In a better way, I've never whether, seen yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it, I think it's really important here because we're talking about the CDC True. lying, whereas the people who were victims of this uh, contamination uh, who who uh, uh, withheld information about substance reluctant use. to uh, disclose their drug use another <laughs> good way of saying it yeah I mean it, it, it is a result of, of state and federal policies against drug use right. and I usually make uh, and, and 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 highlights a lack of trust in 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 their doctors uh, yeah, this this true. information is supposed to be confidential but a lot of people, particularly people who use drugs, um, are a, a, a bit uh, uh, scared of, of disclosing that right. to their Sure, for fear of incarceration, for fear yeah. of losing their children, their, their homes, jobs, whatever it may be. Yeah. yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's what I was going to point to was directly to drug policy and poor okay. drug policy. And then the other question was from Skip. She said, would it do any good for all of us to print the Mike Peskel at the letter to the CDC and mail it to our lawmakers and ask them why the CDC is misleading the public. Do you remember that letter that came out? I think she shared a link. Did you link share a link in chat for, with that, Skip? She said she was going to share the link. Me I mean, sure. It, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it, timing is always good. If it coincides with opposition to a particular bill, that's, that's probably a good idea. Um, always good. You know, if you see articles in your newspaper, uh, you could always share that as a, it's not really a, a letter to the editor, but certainly um, sharing Mike Pesco's letter with uh, uh, newspaper editors, news sites editors, uh, and urging them to correct any uh, misinformation that might have been reported in, in, in an article. There are still people. I mean, this is, you know, the, the, the really horrible thing about this is that, you know, it's, it's been a year. Uh, and people are still pointing to these lung injuries as uh, an established consequence of, of vaping nicotine uh, in committee hearings as part of legislation. It's written in preambles to bills. Uh, it's all but codified. The lie yeah. is all but codified. 
Uh, yeah, they yeah, keep so. using it over, and then they're still using it in studies and things like that. Yeah. Uh, Green Eye Lady said they were dual users, nicotine vapes and THC vapes. Yeah, most of them were, but there's a small percentage who have claimed they only use nicotine mm -hmm. products, and that's the one people keep pointing to. But I suppose, you know, an, an argument to that just occurred to me, because when you just said, it's been a year, and the cases have dropped off dramatically to almost nothing, whereas vaping hasn't dropped off that much. So if any nicotine vaping had anything to do with it, we'd still be saying seeing a significant sure. number of cases today. So there's yeah, your argument. Right isolated there. here. And, uh, vapor products are used around the world. I mean, there's and, there's so many things that that debunk this, but it's yeah. you're you're right in the fact that CDC clinging to this lie. It's not doing anyone any good. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, so, and you just and as so we heard much. from you know from 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 people like Cliff Douglas, uh, former president of the American Cancer Society's Tobacco Control Center, um, uh, you know he had watched his niece go back to smoking, his niece and her boyfriend go back to smoking because of what the CDC uh, and others have been promoting, the lie that they've been promoting. Um, yeah, so yeah, it, you know it's it's. And again, you know, kind of taking that longer view, trying to be optimistic and, and, and sticking with all of this, you know, we're going to have more Cliff Douglases. We're going to have people in positions of authority and power who see their children or their friends uh, go back to smoking uh, or, you know, they're, they're going to hear an opinion about smoking that just doesn't jive with what we know about risk. Uh, and and that will that will inspire some of these people. It's 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 a shame that we have to wait for that, but um, it it you know this is how this is how things work. <laughs> I guess you know we're all here trying to trying to encourage that to happen faster, um, and and hopefully we will be successful, and and people won't have to die early needlessly um, while all of these alternatives to smoking are available. Um, but. Uh, I want to yeah. see what kind of media coverage it gets if the CDC ever does not do a 180 on this. You think it'll be? No, you there, think it'll there, be there all be, over the major media? <laughs> there won't be any expose. New York Times no. isn't going to correct their reporting as on quietly it. as Nobody possible. Is, it, it probably won't even be a note on the website saying this site was updated to more closely align with reality. This is a like big nothing. if, if they ever do anything. Yeah. With reality. One of these days, somebody's going to stumble upon the Evali coverage on the CDC website and be like, oh, they updated. It doesn't sound so crappy anymore. That's that's well, it. That's what it'll be. The thing that makes me crazy is it's still, I mean, if, if you go to our blog post, I have a, we tweeted about it too, an article that just came about, came out about head, neck, and um, head, what is it? Head? Head and neck. Head, neck, and oral cells. Uh, from vaping having possible risk of adverse effects um, from it. And in that study, they point to all the lung injuries that happen. And it's like, that's a study. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's being made canon in our, is that the right word for it? I don't know, dogma, whatever you want to call it. Um, in, in actual research, and it, it, that's, it's crazy that, that that is not being changed when when researchers who are supposed to be specializing this can't even get it right you know because they just because they said you know th these lung injuries were caused by e-cigarette use they didn't even say vaping in this instance while well, they like to complete you know conflate vaping with e-cigarettes um like it's all the same thing but yeah they literally said or they specifically said these lung injuries from e-cigarette use not from vaping and yeah. so 
Yeah. It... So anyway, I, I, I kind of strayed from the original point here, but um, just to just to put a little a pretty bow on all of this, um, stick with it, guys. I know this is stressful. I've been trying to manage burnout for a few years now, and um, it, it really is helpful to take that longer view of uh, essentially the truth will out. Um, and, and, you know, we may not get that, that sort of sense of justice, um, holding people at CDC and all of the body parts groups and campaign for tobacco for kids and truth initiative and lawmakers accountable for actively promoting misinformation. But the point here is that, um, over the longer term, it is, it is a lot more clear to see that policies will align with the benefits of promoting tobacco harm reduction. Uh, and we will all ultimately, we're already on the right side of history. Um, it's just someday we'll, we'll realize that in, in being able to promote safer alternatives. So there you go. And, right. now, on to, and now on to your take, Kristen. Um, really quick before I go, I just want to put, I mean, this will be a good one to share my screen on. Wait, I gotta get back over here. I get so lost in all of this. <laughs> um, okay, share screen. Screen. That specific window. That one. Share. Okay, so you guys can see that, right? Um, yep. This was that same article that I was talking about that with the head, neck, and oral cells problems. And I'm surprised more people didn't note this. So I want to just put this out there again. Of note. Most articles in this systematic review found cigarette smoke to be significantly more toxic to head, neck, and oral cells than e-cigarettes. I mean, that's a systematic review of studies that finds that cigarette smoke is more toxic. And, and that's, we, we need to pull these things out and keep making note of them because it's incredible that that's not what's going to be in the news. What's going to be in the news is the first part. Yeah, that, you know, toxicity was statistically significant, you know, when they were exposed to e-cigarettes. That's what you're going to see. And that's just so frustrating. OK, um, mine here. OK, so I wanted to talk about VLN, very low nicotine cigarettes. Um, a lot of people saw it in the news that the FDA authorized marketing the products uh, that help reduce exposure to and consumption of nicotine. And I wanted to clear up some stuff because I see a lot of misinformation coming from vapors or misunderstanding about things. And I see misinformation coming from the other side where people are saying, oh, they can make reduced harm uh, claims and say that they're safer, which really officially they can't. It's it's a reduced exposure thing, that, and but, which is really ironic because that's the, probably the one of the one few exposures in smoking that's not a toxic thing that could kill you. It's the other stuff, the, the carbon monoxide, which I think is a huge thing that gets ignored a lot, you know, the particulates, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so it's kind of like saying, oh, the, you know, these cigarettes help reduce exposure to air. <laughs> you know, it's like, so it's, it doesn't matter. But um, what I really wanted to talk about was uh, that, well, basically, one of the other things that I also see, so it's actually I'm backing up. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, my brain. Um, okay, so filter cigarettes as a modified risk tobacco products, which help reduce exposure to and consumption of nicotine for smokers who use them. Um, 
So just bear in mind, these are not, it's not the same thing as being safer. And you're seeing a lot of people who are coming out and saying um, that this is a good thing that, that, uh, or it's a bad thing. I mean, on the other side, in all honesty, tobacco control is not thrilled with this being approved either. I think they'd rather just see a blanket ban on nicotine and e-cigarettes or very low, you know, or have it be applied by the FDA. And that's something that's been long coming. Um, but just bear in mind that I, you know, I've seen people say, claiming it's like, oh, now they can say they're safer. No, they can't. They technically can't. But there is a valid criticism that people will, the, the general public will stop and go, oh, these have a modified risk. Well, actually, most of them probably won't even hear it. But they will see on the package, because now they're allowed to put on the package, this reduces your exposure to nicotine. And we know how many people, based on surveys, think nicotine is the main thing that kills you when you smoke or use tobacco. Um, so it's really important that this, that we keep an eye on them and make sure that they're not doing that. Um, and there is some concern about that because one of the studies, so the other thing I saw was a lot of people are making claims about what's going to happen when people use these. Uh, if the FDA decides that they're going to, um, push this and keep in mind too, this was kind of a thing that was built into the tobacco act of 2009 Congress in a way assigned this to the FDA. They said, you can't get rid of, you can't force them to put, have zero nicotine, but you can make it as low as you want is essentially what they said. Um, and it was sort of put into built into the act that they wanted to see this happen. And a lot of that was based on some studies that came out in the, in the, probably the late 1990s. Um, and they they were saying that their current studies show that people who use these cigarettes that were either very low nicotine or denicotinized, I have a hard time with that word, um, were sh showed that they were actually a benefit. And I'm going to get to that because I see a lot of people responding to this as being, well, people are just going to smoke more. They're going to compensate and they're just going to smoke more. And that's hasn't really played out in the studies. And so it's been a valid argument from the other side that will studies show that they don't compensate. So that's not a good argument to use because they really don't. Um, the other thing is, is, well, this isn't going to help people quit. Well, really, if you look at some of the early literature and the early articles and arguments for this, it wasn't so much about getting current smokers to quit. It was about making sure that youth who try these products won't get addicted. Um, so that's just a small little distinction that you have to keep in mind when you're making arguments about this product. And the, I just did, I did come, I think that's pretty much all I wanted to say on that. Uh, so yeah, there, there is no evidence that people will smoke more. Almost all the studies, all the literature, and I will share all the links to all of these in the description of studies that I came across they're, they're right. Most people don't overcompensate, but there, there's a caveat to that. There's a limitation to that. And I will get to that in a second. Um, but this was just real quick showing that public misperception of very low nicotine cigarettes being less carcinogenic. And, you know, 47.1% of smokers believe that smoking VLNC cigarettes for 30 years would be less likely to cause cancer than smoking current cigarettes. Okay. So that's a misconception. Um, why this is very important to know is that other um, studies, and again, I will share links to this, but other studies, let's see if I can find it here. 
the one that shows tried to put it in my notes so that I could find it fast. Um, here's one. Um, this one is from 2000. I'm not sure I didn't save the date on this one. Um, this one here. So it's important that they, they think that people will, the, the theory is smokers, because they don't compensate, they, there are studies showing that they start to smoke less. Um, so they use that as a, as a, uh, you know, some people might quit, some people might quit, and then you won't have people starting. Um, well, part of the problem from what I found looking at most of these studies is that there's about a 30%, and a lot of them are really small too, like some of them have 16 subjects, and people are using this as evidence. Um, but, you know, if you look at this one here, they came up with, uh, let me see if I can find it. Um, They had 752 participants. Uh, they, they, the ones who were assigned the VLNs uh, smoked less, which means it reduced their toxicant exposure. So if you are smoking less, there could be an argument that you're not getting as much toxins, but that completely counteracts. If you go on any website for tobacco control and say, hey, if I just cut back down to a few cigarettes, it's all no safe exposure, no safe exposure, no safe exposure. So you kind of have to wonder, but then that's the convenient argument when they want to say, oh, well, look, they're they're reducing their cigarette intake. Um, the other problem with this one was even though they had 752 participants, only 39% of the participants actually finished the study. So 61% of the people quit. So got no benefit from the from these cigarettes at all. And they're not going to tell you that. They're only focusing on the 39% who kept up with it. And that's a problem, a major problem with this is who's going... What are they going to do? Are they going to keep using these cigarettes or not? Um, the other thing is that, uh, and I'm just going to get out of this because I don't want to just keep showing. Oops, that's, you don't want to see that. Why did my calculator come up? Um, I got to pull up this. Uh, stop sharing. Um, the other thing is that on average, yes, they did smoke less. Uh, from most of the studies that I saw, they did people who were using the very low nicotine ended up smoking less cigarettes. However, it sort of maxed out at 30%. They cut them back by 30%. And that's not quitting. That That's not quitting. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, it looks promising. They're going to quit 30%. Like if you went to your doctor and said, hey, I cut back on smoking by 30%. Isn't that great? He'd look at you and be like, no, it's got to be 100%. You know, the, the, all the, Anti-tobacco groups, same thing. They'll tell you that no safe level of smoke and cutting back by even 50%. You know, if you only smoke a half a pack a day, they'll say you're just, it, pretty much at the same risk. It's it's not a significant difference in risk. I'm not saying I agree with this, but I'm just saying that that's what they're going to say. So it's it's right there on the line. It's not it's, it's being truthful, but but not really because they're not really stopping people there the studies do show this but it's a little song and dance with it um and the fact that people think that and like i said they're not quitting completely so uh, let me see i gotta find my notes here um so that's uh, i did that one already okay and then two or three of these were of these studies that i'll share the links again that were often um cited in the other studies found that um 
or, or mentioned alternative, they mentioned they specifically mentioned alternative safer products or ends specifically, um, electronic nicotine devices. And they say that, oh, you know, if you get rid of the nicotine, they'll go to those devices. And here you've got studies now who are saying, okay, these are safer devices. These are preferable, de preferable device, yet they're banning those things. So if they can't get these alternate nicotine products or they just don't want to use them. So another question would be, what are they going to use instead? Um, and another point that came up is, uh, oh, and in the beginning, the, one of the studies I found from that was often um, cited as being, oh, this has been, you know, there's a lot of science behind this and stuff. It was from 1998. And they said the objective was to assess the feasibility of reducing tobacco caused disease by gradually removing nicotine from east from from uh, cigarettes until they would not be effective causes of nicotine addiction um and, and specifically said required that the addictiveness of cigarettes be reduced within five to ten years and we know now that they're just saying oh, shut them off cut them off you know and it, and it was specifically to make it easier on people who currently smoke to gradually wean down to these you know your own cigarette your own brand would eventually just you know kind of fade away um and they even mentioned back in that study potential problems is uh, compensatory oversmoking, uh, black market sales, things like that. So they said those could really be a risk, and nobody wants to talk about that. And one of the ones that they, um, and then one of the ones that actually cited that that's more recent from 2015, backed away and said, "Oh no, you know we don't really have to do it like that." But they did talk a lot about. Um, recommending that they go ahead and do this as developing and implement, implementing a nicotine reduction policy. Uh, but they quoted Mitch Zeller uh, as saying in 2013, anyone who would ponder the end game must acknowledge that the continuum of risk exists and pursue strategies that are designed to drive consumers from the most deadly and dangerous to the least harmful forms of nicotine delivery. And this is in these studies. Um, our ability to transition smokers to the use of less harmful nicotine delivery systems would be greatly improved if the makers here, now get this. Now, remember, this is 2013 before FDA actually started doing anything. And, and I think, believe this is before Mitch became director of the FDA, which is also really interesting. Um, Center for Tobacco our, Products. He was not FDA director. He, yeah, he tobacco tobacco. yeah, FDA Center for Tobacco Products. My apologies. Yeah, that's what it says. I just didn't finish reading the words. <laughs> Our ability to transition smokers to less harmful nicotine delivery systems would be greatly improved if the makers of products such as e-cigarettes, this is a quote now, that reputedly cause less harm would seek FDA approval for them, providing evidence they are safe and effective as smoking cessation aids, and that they yield benefit at both the individual and population levels. You know, and, and, and he doesn't see that he's holding the bar way too high when you're trying to compare it to cigarettes. I mean, they just don't get that. They want to see it as smoking cessation devices, not as alternatives. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, but so many have been denied. And now what? And another quote I thought was interesting from that was, if people smoke the nicotine but die from the tar arising from tobacco combustion, why? And again, they always say the tar, but carbon monoxide has horrible effects on your body. And they seem to not think about that. Um, why not disassociate the two? 
We are increasingly convinced that reducing the nicotine content of combustible tobacco products would undercut the motivation to smoke, that young people who continue to experiment with cigarettes would not become dependent on them, and that adult smokers would either get their nicotine from another source that is markedly safer or quit using nicotine altogether. And what my, my note on that was if people are seeking smoking just the nicotine, okay, something that has been countered in other studies, which I'll get to in a second, um, plus the inefficacy. In, in efficacy of NRT, because we know NRT doesn't work, even if it was just about the nicotine, they would work much better. Um, we need to ask, why are they seeking that nicotine? Uh, does it have some benefit for them? And if they can't get nicotine because of all of this, will they turn to something else to self-medicate? Now, there was two other studies that I thought were really interesting when it came to this, and that'll be the end of it. But um, they mentioned, okay, that was that one. Where is it now? Um, Oh, no, I can't find it. Uh, they mentioned that, because I said the reference of, oh, no, I got to find it. Basically, it was, they found, oh, because they found that people didn't quit. And there was a study, let me see if I can find that one real quick. Um, there was a study that looked at just, they weren't looking at to see if the nicotine would help them quit it was what would they do if i know i can't find it there's a whole bunch of really interesting too like menthol people people who smoke menthol didn't do so well when the nicotine was lowered they did not they did not quit and they had a big uh no now i can't find it um Oh, it was really well, while you're looking for this, I'm, I'll right, just jump in and note something that was brought up in, in, in chat and something I've been thinking about with regard to the very low nicotine content cigarettes. Um, Neff made the comment about how vapor products have that sort of step down process built in already. You know, one of the ways I wouldn't mind seeing VLNCs marketed is just disclosing nicotine levels, which is prohibited. Um, but being able to, to note the nicotine content on cigarettes gives consumers that option of saying, hey, wait, yeah, maybe nicotine is keeping me coming back for cigarettes. If I can choose a lower nicotine cigarette, maybe that puts me closer to quitting. I, 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 would, I would appreciate, as a consumer, I would appreciate that. But right. it's still, you know, this idea of, of the top down forcing people to smoke very low nicotine cigarettes. Um, and as others have mentioned in the comment, I think Janine Timmons brought up, or, or maybe it was Green Eyed Lady, talking about how the focus being all on prevention and not actually benefiting people who currently smoke. Um, yeah. You know, it, we it's, when we talk about how we became addicted to smoking, it wasn't instant. This, this, this is one thing that baffles me about this whole non-addictive level of nicotine. To me, it's total bullshit. You know, I have used products that don't contain any drugs. You know, I've used them habitually uh, with not great outcomes, uh, but it became habitual. And, and I am arguably addicted to that behavior or that product without drugs. So right. you can develop an addiction to smoking without nicotine at all. I mean, I'm sure there's data out there but showing here, this, this is what this is. This is what this is, actually. This okay. study was actually looking at, and I actually had to read this so many times that I read it out loud to my husband because I'm like, am I reading this right? What am 
I reading? And it, reading the aims of the study was really important because it says sensory motor, sensory motor stimuli associated with tobacco smoking influence smoking behavior. Um, however, current research is focused most exclusively on effects of brief laboratory-based exposure to smoking-related stimuli. Okay, they're trying to talk about the other aspects of smoking besides nicotine, because it says the purpose of this experiment was to characterize the effects of smoking stimuli delivered in the absence of nicotine. So not trying to see if people quit, but what happens to their smoking behavior? Um, are they going to compensate? Are they going to do all that? Um, it says uh, daily denicotized Cigarette use declined immediately by 1.7 cigarettes a day. Okay, so here's your proof that it's it's not, people aren't overcompensating. How much they smoke went down and it declined by another 3.5 cigarettes over time. Participants smoking denicotized cigarettes also demonstrated a 31% decline in the number of puffs earned on a progressive ratio. Okay, so that's that 30%. And I found that a couple other things, 20 to 30%. Um, Subjective ratings of smoking were largely negative throughout the study in the nicotized group, while the nicotine-containing condition reported increasingly positive subject effects with repeated exposure. Acute craving suppression following smoking remained evident throughout the study, regardless of nicotine content. And here's where I got thrown off by that, because I read the findings, and I'm like, what, were they trying to see if they could quit using, you know, and it, it wasn't it. It says, these effects, under conclusion, these effects highlight the importance of non-nicotine sensory motor stimuli as, de as determinants of the maintenance of smoking behavior and suggest that extinction of condition reinforcement in the absence of nicotine progresses slowly. Oh, that hurt my brain. And I had to read that like 10 times to understand what it meant. But it's, it basically says this is what it highlights how important the non-nicotine aspects are smoking are to people. And that's why you will get um, people who haven't smoked in a long time and aren't addicted to nicotine anymore, go back to smoking. And they, it's that feeling, it's that inhale, it's that throat hit that vapors are always looking for. It's that cloud they want to see. Um, you know, it, it's different for everybody. Yes. And the olfactory, the hand to mouth, yeah. the, something and, to do and, with your hands. The Right. Yeah. And this is why it was important because it said, um, it suggests that extinction of conditioned reinforcement in the absence of nicotine progressive, progresses slowly. So people will keep using these cigarettes regardless of the nicotine. And that's a huge thing. That's that's essentially what they found here is that people are going to keep smoking them whether there's nicotine in it or not. They just get used to it. And so that makes you question, okay, smokers smoke for the nicotine, but they die from the smoke. Well, how true is that really? If this study is showing people just keep smoking them, and that that's a lot more important than people think. And nobody from what I could see went out long enough to see if people would eventually actually completely quit. And another study essentially said, you know, they may just, one of the other studies, what I think was one of the earlier ones from 2015 said, they're, they're, they may just, you know, get their nicotine from vaping and keep smoking. They may put some snus in their mouth and keep smoking. That's how important a lot of that smoking behavior. And again, that also, you see that, Every day when you see people not able to chew gum or stick a lozenge in their mouth and put a patch on, they're still craving that something else. And they and when vaping, when they get vaping, like, that's what I was missing, that behavior thing. Mm -hmm. And the more they decimate the the vaping industry and scare people away from vaping, all this stuff, this, these low nicotine things, there's your argument. It's not that people won't cut back on smoking. They don't. They do. It's not that people... Uh, will compensate and smoke more. They won't. Studies don't show that. But this research is showing that they're not quitting completely. 
and that nicotine plays a much smaller part or not even that much smaller, but well, yeah, much smaller because they think it's everything and it's not everything. So now it's much smaller than that in people continuing to, to keep smoking. So there's your argument against these, I'll stop sharing, against these products is that there, people are just going to keep smoking them. They're going to use other nicotine because um, unless you can get them to go to something different, that's, that fills that void. That's not just nicotine. And again, yeah, I go back to my husband all the time. Even vaping didn't fit, fill that void for him. There was something else in the actual tobacco. And it was when he combined snooze with vaping that he was finally able to finish, you know, to, to just get away from him. So that is, that is my take on all of this, on the whole VLN thing, is that we need to be very careful in crafting our arguments against it. Or in some cases, we might be able to support it. It could possibly be an argument for getting these governments to back off on vaping. It could be a different narrative that we could use. And that is my segue into the deep dive. <laughs> Did you guys have anything else to say? Did I miss anything in chat that anybody wanted to did say? Everybody, did everybody get all that? Did you guys get all that? <laughs> I tried to put it in layman's terms, but I'm telling you that one sentence, I read. that's the one I read out loud to my husband. I'm like, what What am I reading here? Am I really reading this? What am I reading? And I mean, I think, yeah. for, I think for a lot of people, it makes sense. I mean, how many, how many testimonies on Kassaz's site do we have of people who tried lozenges who tried patches who tried gums who tried sprays who tried all of these you know nrts and uh, and other products that said it didn't work for me even though even though there's all the nicotine that any person who smokes could need in those products you put two pieces of gum two lozenges have it every sure. time mix it up yeah. mix and match throw on a patch have a piece of oh, gum yeah. live a little but how many people were not successful in, in quitting until they had something that met those other sensory needs? And that, I mean, that was me, you know, I think for a, a lot of people here, that was, you know, the same story. It's, it's the hand to mouth. It's the olfactory. It's, it's the visual stimuli of feeling and seeing something that you inhale and exhale. And that, I mean, good Lord, my social media name is Logan exhales. I mean, it's very <laughs> important to me that I get to see that experience, yeah. that I feel it, that I see it, that I, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it. That's, that's the biggest thing. And, and again, to, to piggyback off of Neff, Neff's point about uh, vaping kind of inherently having a VLN option. Yeah. There are, there are plenty of people out there who, you know, quit smoking, worked their way all the way down to zero milligram and still vape because of the enjoyment for all of those sensory things that fill yeah. that void, that need that you, people you have in yeah. order to remain smoke free that those options are, are available in, in vapor products. So, and Janine says, you know, I wonder how many people who use VLN cigs will quit by accident. And, you know, there's a good chance. And that's what the study that I came, you know, when I was looking at all this stuff, I mean, it just blew my mind. I mean, cause I, my first, my knee jerk reaction when I saw VLN cigarettes, well, they're just going to smoke more. They're going to do like they did with light filters and stuff, covering the holes and stuff to get, to get that nicotine. And, and they're not lying. I mean, people do smoke less. But again, if you went to your doctor and said, hey, I cut my cigarette intake by 30, 20 to 30% and I'm going to do, then that's what I'm going to, that's it. I'm done that I'm, I'm going to do, you know, 60 to 80% or no, 
sorry, 70 to 80% smoking from now on for the rest of my life. I'm good. Right. I cut, I cut my wrist. Right. He'd be like, no, <laughs> you know, but, and that's, that's the problem is that it doesn't look like people are going to actually quit because there's no nicotine. And that's what this one shows that, yeah, they're going to reduce it. Yeah, try bird watching. <laughs> Almost I'm meaning said I wasn't truly satisfied until I tried bird watching. <laughs> yeah, you know, me too. I'm right with you. I'm a yeah. maniac. I'm right with you. So there's a good argument for, hey, look, you guys, you're since 1998, your argument for this thing, for doing this with cigarettes, which I have to put out there right now, I do not agree with because I don't think it's fair for that 30% of people who smoke who don't want to quit. And they shouldn't be forced to quit. And that's their right to keep smoking to take away their enjoyment of it. And so I'm strongly against that. That's the libertarian in me. I'm sorry, but I don't agree with it. However, if their government's going to try to go forward with this, A, they need to really understand that very low nicotine cigarettes aren't probably going to keep people from, from quitting. B, that means kids who start using it are still going to think it looks cool. and They're not going to care whether there's nicotine in it or not. And they may still get that hand to mouth habit thing going regardless of the nicotine, because that's what their own studies are proving that people aren't actually quitting it, you know, so they need to take that into account. And they also need to turn around and, and say, okay, well, if this is our goal, if this has been our goal from the first time to get these people who won't quit, which all our data says probably won't quit, um, to not go to other harmful combustible products because some people might use little cigars. Some people might go to cigars. They might go to pipe smoke. They might do anything else like that, um, which cigars and pipe smoke have lower risk uh, for lung cancer, not necessarily for oral cancer. You know, they need to not decimate vaping. They need to make sure that there's an affordable, appealing, effective to quit, quit with the nicotine caps and the flavor bans and the taxes so that these people actually do do that. And, and, and so there's a better argument than, oh, people are just going to compensate. They're just going to overcompensate and smoke more. That's not an argument. I'm here to tell you right now, that's not true. And they do actually smoke less, but it's a ridiculous argument to say, well, they're smoking less. So it does reduce harm. Well, you, you didn't agree with that. Whenever anybody would come up to you and tell you, oh, I quit smoking. I only smoke 10 cigarettes a day instead of 20. I'm reducing my harm, right? Go to any literature, go to any website, you know, tobacco control website on, on, on anywhere, and they'll say, oh, no, just cutting back your cigarettes isn't going to reduce your risk. So they can't have it both ways. <laughs> but anyhow, let's segue into, into our deep dive. We can talk about some more. <laughs> okay. Ready? Are you ready? I'm let's ready. Okay. Damn. That was almost a deep dive in itself. I'm sorry. Right I tried to go through it fast. I really did. No, that was wonderful. It could be a deep dive. I could because, again, I was, I was one of those people originally in that same camp of like, well, we're just going to smoke more. Science says otherwise. All right, you guys, let's dive deep. While we are on the topic of poor arguments... I have to talk about this one more arguments. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, a yeah. lot of arguments on our side, a lot of things that we we try to reinforce our positions with may not be the most effective ways to go about it. So we are asking the question, how do we sharpen our messaging? How do we sharpen our messaging, Alex? Really quick, I, though, before Alex, oh. before you get in that, I just want to talk about Neff's comment here saying i'm glad to hear vln is working that's thr that's good news yeah 
you got the wrong message there, bud. <laughs> Well, it's I mean, not working. It's not. I mean, it's not working. It's not not working for the reasons that vapors often throw out there. But it's not. Right. Working I think for to other piggyback reasons. off of your point earlier, if we were providing people with that alternative, that place to land, there is a place where VLN cigarettes fit into that whole equation of THR. If they're if not- they're a, even if they're just a middle point, right? If they're just a transitory thing. That's still kind of a tool in the toolbox, right? So I, 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 I'll, I'll, I think I'm 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 in Kristen's camp on this, and that that there is no harm reduction here. Um, this is really I, I I I'm 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 in line with the earlier comment about giving consumers the option to select their own nicotine content to take to take their own action, make their own decisions, and say I. I I want to feel less dependent on this product, and I know I can do that by switching to a lower nicotine cigarette, or I can I can start that attempt. Um, but I don't I don't view this as harm reduction. I don't actually. Casa does not agree with the MRTP authorization here uh, for a couple of reasons. First, first, what we are talking about now, which is that very, VLN cigarettes are still combustible cigarettes, and you get all of the harm and none of the drug that you want, um, or not enough of it. Um, and and of course all of this this the science that's coming out um, uh, that that Kristen has has highlighted in as uh, uh, compact and dense a form as possible. Um, right, so no, no, nobody should feel bad about not getting all that stuff absorbed. Um, the other yeah, thing, uh, <laughs> the, the other side of the <clears throat> marketing statements that and uh, that twenty second century is being allowed to make this idea that these cigarettes will help you reduce your nicotine consumption, to me and to this organization, that rings as a therapeutic claim. No one else is being allowed to make anything along, make any statements along those lines. Although it is arguably true with vapor products, snooze, any other reduced harm product. Um, And so I I, I think that this authorization is, is wrong um, I have no problem with companies marketing lower nicotine content cigarettes, uh, but to make a modified risk claim on top of this, sure. I think is it, it just I, I don't I don't believe I, I'll have to emphasize that word. I don't believe that that jives with the data. Um, yeah. So anyway, right. we're not talking about very low nicotine cigarettes anymore. I am going to start this off with two things that are not necessarily on topic. First, you may have seen me attempting to share my screen here. I'm sorry. Um, this is, I, I haven't even listened to this. I don't even know if the audio is going to come through here, but um, I think this is hilarious. All I've done is watch the image. <laughs> So anyway, I, just a little bit of levity there. Uh, this is from, 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 from Juca Kilivoria. Uh, sorry if I butchered your name, Juca. Um, but uh, since we are moving on to something that, was, awesome. uh, that came from Twitter from one of our board members, uh, I figured this would be good. Also, uh, just a pet peeve, completely unrelated to vaping or tobacco or anything like that. Um, one of those examples about how the, the message or the meaning of a particular word uh, has been lost is the word decimated. Uh, the actual definition of the word decimated means to reduce by one tenth uh, or ten oh. percent. 
It does not well, mean complete and total devastation. <laughs> and I blame weather people around the country for using misusing this word to describe <laughs> natural disasters. Decimated doesn't mean that. Stop Devastated is a better word. <clears throat> Anytime anybody says that the, you know, all oh, the coast is being decimated by this storm, think to yourself, that's not bad. It's only 10%. <laughs> Devastated is probably the word you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Not, not decimated. And now they got so, me using decimated. Sorry. No worries. <laughs> Everybody gets it wrong. Even the dictionary is. I will not anymore. What it used to mean anymore. So um, I'll tell you that from now on. I will not get that wrong ever again. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a little bit more in line with what we're talking here, which is all about sharpening the message. And this topic, I know some people have probably been, you know, watching the vaping medias uh, over the past couple weeks or week. Um, yeah, it's a couple weeks now. Uh, Matt Cully, uh, one of our uh, board members, uh, took to Twitter and uh, shared his views about arguments that don't work anymore or probably never work to begin with uh, and uh, broke this down into to three things. Uh, certainly there are more out there, um, but the what about isms, the MSA and the MSA blood money, uh, and uh, the the business and, and economic argument. And so we figured we'd take this uh, on ourselves uh, and maybe expand on this and uh, and hopefully focus a lot more on sort of antidote, antidotes to uh, these um, sort of failing arguments. Um, and yeah, because we've seen a lot of people saying, okay, now you're telling us what we can't say, what should we say? So let's right. hopefully come from that aspect. So I, I also want to kind of set the table here, and I know that some some people's immediate reaction to uh, you know criticism about these specific arguments would be, well, you know, we've been trying to present the science and the data and our personal testimonies and all of the things for a decade now, more than a decade, uh, and it's just not working. So uh, one of the justifications for using arguments like these uh, is that they do hopefully grab people's attention. Sometimes we believe that being combative or aggressive uh, forces people to listen to us more. Uh, I know that, you know, certainly when I was younger uh, and, and there are people out there who we all, we all love to get the slam dunk. I think it makes us feel powerful and righteous when we can sort of call somebody out and make them feel stupid for their dumb opinion. Um, but that isn't how we actually bring people into, uh, into the coalition. Uh, we need to come at this with an attitude of inclusion and empowerment. Um, and so before we get too far into arguments that don't work, I, I want to set the tone of persistence beats resistance. The more that we stick to the facts and the truth and the, 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 the sometimes hard truths, it, we feel like broken records, but that's kind of how we get through this is by constantly sticking to the, the, the facts, the, the science as Kristen has, has laid out for us here. Uh, and uh, it, it, our arguments don't change because they are correct. Uh, and that's, uh, that's sort of the basis for a lot of this. Um, so I know that, that uh, I, I don't quite know how to do this whole, this is a panel discussion and I took a lot, I wrote a lot of notes down and I don't want to be the only person talking. Um, so uh, 
Why don't I, you start off by reading Matt's first tweet, especially for our listeners who are going to be sure. just listening, just so they know what we're talking about. And I did just share uh, the, t the tweet, the thread uh, link in the chat, and I will put it in the uh, description after the show. Excellent. So um, we can, uh, everybody can play along at home. Uh, let's go with Matt's first point here, which is what about isms? Uh, we do this a lot, says Matt. Uh, but what about flavored alcohol? Yes, there's plenty of hypocrisy in this world, but most don't care. Alcohol is part of the culture and its risks are accepted by society. Vaping is still new. Society fights new perceived risks. Um, I, I don't know if I want to read all of these in, in line. No, here. no, I just meant the first one. As, as we go along, um, I, I think, at least in my notes, I've suggested some antidotes to this or alternatives uh, or, or really just focusing on some of the nuances of what we're really trying to say there. Um, and my answer here, and, and we can discuss this, is uh, sort of turning what about on its ear. Uh, I think there's value in making the comparison based on policy. Uh, we aren't banning flavored booze because we've acknowledged that such restrictions would lead to confusion, a robust underground market, and a different public health crisis. We, we've already seen this, right? It's documented. Prohibition of drugs and alcohol was and is a failed policy. And I think we can make that point uh, by, by focusing on the policy and, and the documented public health consequences of alcohol prohibition and drugs prohibition. Um, and so it, it's, I, I will tell this story all the time. Uh, I, w I was at a committee hearing in New Jersey. Uh, it was a, uh, I believe it was a flavor ban. Um, and I started off part of my testimony by saying, you know, we're not talking about flavored alcohol products here. And as soon as flavored alcohol came out of my mouth, there was a, a, an eye roll with full head and neck involvement from one of the committee members, just wow. absolutely sick of this argument. And I immediately had to kind of struggle to, to make sure that I was speaking clearly about what I just said, which is, this is a failure of policy. I'm not comparing alcohol products to vapor products. I'm saying that the policy is a failure and it failed for this. It's going to fail for this other thing. It's not any different. Uh, and so it, it's it's less of a whataboutism and more about questioning the efficacy of the policy itself. Um, and I, I don't know if that is, uh, is, a, is correct. I don't know if that lands with people, but I'm happy to discuss that as one of uh, a potential uh, alternative statements in line with this. Any thoughts? No. I agree. Excellent. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. We'll move along here. I, I do. Um, I do. One the, of the, the things about the uh, about the the alcohol argument, just just from perusing Twitter over the years, uh, that I just find. I don't know, even more baseless or, or useless of an argument is when is when we direct that argument at FDA, uh, mm -hmm. which is which is just even even more um, useless. Really, I don't have a better word here for it because FDA doesn't regulate alcohol. Yeah. Um, in case people didn't know, uh, the Department of Treasury's Alcohol and Tobacco Tax 
and Trade Bureau, the TTB. I know that's that's quite a mouthful of a title there, but the TTB are the people that actually regulate uh, the labeling, the you know uh, the selling, all of it. They the wholesale distribution, labeling, importation, production, and advertising. There you go. There's the whole spiel that the TP. So when people bring up, you know, uh, they at FDA on Twitter or something, they say, well, look at the, you know, Lucky Charms looking labels on these craft beers or whatever. What about that? You're really you're you're kind of throwing yourself under the bus oh, here. Yeah. You're throwing a different industry under the bus, being regulated by an entirely different agency. It really doesn't make for an effective argument in any capacity. And I, I, this is something I screamed about at the top of my lungs on Twitter for a really long time. And then my face turned blue and I just gave up. Um, it, it's just, it well, doesn't. Everybody's arguing that they should also ban flavored alcohol. I mean, yeah, you're, 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 you're kind of arguing that. shooting yourself in the foot here. Like, you know, you're almost justifying your own, the opposite of your own point here. So I don't and, know. And in line. I just want to throw in there for anybody who's curious as to why you shouldn't at the FDA about flavored alcohol and labor right. labeling. It's and not even, it's not even their department. In, in line with that, with the, the sort of the alcohol arguments, the what about alcohol stuff, um, it's not so much relevant anymore because tobacco 21 is federal law. But, uh, you know, when we start comparing these products to alcohol uh, and even cannabis, I think people may need to gear themselves up for vapor products being sold or, and all of these alternative products being sold exclusively in adult only establishments. Sure. Um, right. it, it depends on your state. I know, you know, I mean, I can go, if I wanted to buy beer in the grocery store here in New York, um, have to go to a liquor store. Uh, but you know, the alcohol laws depend on your state, but for the most part, it's safe to say that, you know, a liquor store is, uh, it's 21 and up. Uh, unless accompanied yeah. by a, a, you know, a parent or guardian. Um, and so if those are the regulations that people are willing to accept for your vape shop, and I know a lot of people are, and that may be what we're, that may be where we're headed. Casa um, does not support the idea that lower risk products should be uh, exclusively allowed in adult only establishments while combustible cigarettes are available in every convenience store in the United States of America, around the world, et cetera, ad nauseum. Um, but, uh, uh, that that may be where we're heading. So if you if you accept that, then by all means continue comparing these products to alcohol. And hopefully that would just be a stepping stone because I think if they started seeing the results of having these products available, that eventually somebody might go, why are we hiding these in these buildings over here? But you know, people will start to figure it out. And I, you know, I have to say that it's one of the things that Casa has been about probably since our early days is just surviving long enough to get more enough people doing this and seeing it and trying it and over to our side where, and we've reached that point. I mean, we are at a point now, it's like, like Helen said last week, it's not going anywhere. It really isn't. There's yeah. going to be some version of vaping. It's out there. There's going to be some version of it. Um, and I think that's, I think a good thing to do is, okay, so, we don't want to use what aboutism. So, what would be an alternative to that? And you gave a good alternative, which is um, a regulatory comparing comparing the policy comparison, yeah. more of a comparison rather than a what about. And and some people, I mean, I used to be called the analogy queen. I mean, because I've always come up with them. I'm the one who came up with the condom one. You know, I mean, and those are analogies. You know, 
which is different from a whataboutism, in my opinion. I know Danielle and I disagreed on this, but, um, you know, one is saying you wouldn't do this. So why are you doing this? That's a whataboutism. But analogy is, you know, it's, it's, it's a subtle difference. It really is. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't ban condoms to keep people from having unsafe sex. You know, that's not a whataboutism. That isn't a, well, what about condoms? You know, you haven't banned those. That's a whataboutism. Do you know what I mean? It's more of a get people to think it doesn't, doesn't really make much sense, does I, I it? Think, yeah, I, I see where the confusion is. And 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 perhaps I'm not, you know, consulting my Merriam-Webster dictionary enough. <laughs> but, you know, I again, I think that's another sort of illustration of, you know, we're, we're talking about risk. We're talking about policy. Uh, and and it, it, it makes sense that, you know, it... it well, it doesn't make sense that you would ban condoms to promote safer sex right. um, or promote <laughs> abstinence. It's it's abstinence. just you know, especially when it comes to to sex, it's a, it's a biological drive. We we are we are purpose built to make more humans, and there's only one real way to do that, um, unless you're like super sci-fi China and you're cloning people. Um, but you know. So. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it's, I, I, I agree. I think this is more about comparing. It's, it's a risk comparison kind of policy. Uh, it's an analogy. <clears throat> Cloning people just doesn't sound like fun, though. Are you kidding? Just gonna, Have this you just ever doesn't seen seem like fun. Is it multiplicity? Well, and then there's with, the other uh, argument, you know, because you always see they say adults don't like flavors. But I guess. And that would be a good way. That'd be an illustration. It's not a what about it. It's a what about this? You know, we, you allow that. That's a what about it. You say, well, if adults don't like flavors, really? Well, what about yeah. these flavors and those flavors? I mean, that's a little different because, yet again, it's sort of read the room, know your audience. Have what you been to a liquor store or a bakery in your life? Have you ever yeah. seen a Baskin Robbins? They got 31 flavors. Yeah. Guess who drives I mean, the kids at, to the ice cream shop? Look, I look at keto. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm on keto and I look at the, not this week because my husband brought home friggin' donuts <laughs> that he bought for work the adults at work you know because you know adults don't like you know, oh they're yeah all, donuts they're all liver flavored donuts people. you know but if you look at like the keto flavors they're all like oh look this tastes just like snickers this tastes just like oreos you know you know that kids aren't going on a diet to lose these aren't pointed you know these aren't targeting kids you know, so so what about kind of good for that it's like well adults don't like flavors well what about keto flavored stuff or what about that's a whole different kind of what about as opposed to saying you know well why aren't you banning this what about this why are you letting that go that's a whole different thing you know what i mean yeah i i think i think um you know the the starting an argument with what about is is very argument specific so yeah. on one hand it's useful but on the other hand it sort of misses the point and and we all just sort of sound stupid so, I think yes, it depends on the conversation and it depends on the audience. I think that's yeah. where whataboutisms can can play a role. If you're just talking to somebody casually that you you've met on the street and they're raising points about, you know, your your e-liquid label is brightly colored and has, you know, fun font on it and it comes in blue rads or whatever, is. you know, making those but but they're also a fan of candy and craft beer, you can make those kind of whataboutism you know, arguments with not necessarily arguments, but points to someone to kind of shift that perception. Uh, and I think, I think those it. can be useful tools then. But when you're uh, addressing policymakers, when you're talking to agencies right. and things like this, um, right. what about isms just they tend to fall flat. 
really. Yeah. Well, yeah, because people just throw it out. They don't, they're not actually, you know, if somebody says, well, adults don't like candy flavored things, then you yeah. could say, well, what about this? You can't say that. You are, you're calling, you're basically countering their claim. But if and, you're just saying, and you're just saying, well, you know, what about flavored alcohol? Why, you know, you don't ban that. That's all, who's, we're not talking about flavored alcohol. We're talking about nicotine. Either, then that's a whole different thing because you're talking about the alcohol and the flavors as opposed to a very specific argument that adults don't like flavored things. You know, why would an adult like something that's flavored cotton candy? And then you kind of point out to, well, who's buying this cotton candy alcohol, Ivanka, you know, that's also, a whole different thing. It's a very specific argument. I would also, say. also with regard to adults eating sugary things, you know, as we get old, we kind of got to watch that sugar intake. Our teeth aren't <laughs> so great anymore. Some of us are pushing diabetes. Some of us have diabetes. Um, you know, it's a diet consideration. It's not a flavor consideration. I love sweet things. You should right. see what I eat for breakfast every day. It looks <laughs> like a damn birthday cake. If anyone's um, curious tastes, what I had for breakfast today, it's on Twitter. It tastes, I saw it that. tastes amazing. <laughs> so, so yeah, anyway. Yeah. Okay. The other two points I, that Matt made was MSA and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was just going to say, we can go I'm, past that just so people know what it was. That was that the argument that the MSA is, is, is like a conspiracy thing. And then the, the final one was, arguing that yeah. your business, you know, so, you're losing uh, business or stuff I'll, like that. So I'll pick this up yeah. at, at MSA and, and and we can do a little bit of discussion like we did on the last point. Um, oh, I didn't know if you wanted to break that down. I thought we were going to go yeah. on to I'm talk gonna, about I'm going to move through each of these. And, oh, and okay. I think Sorry. Uh, that's, that's sort of the okay. overall point here is that we're not just saying stop doing things. The point, yeah. the point of this conversation and our organization is all about promoting alternatives. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, getting back to Matt's thread, uh, MSA, it's complex. Most don't explain it well and or get many and or get many details wrong, which renders the argument useless. Unless you're a pro on regulation and tax policy, it's best to steer clear. I have uh, my own take on how it, it's not just the master settlement agreement payments, but all of a state's tobacco revenues should be highlighted. Um, and I don't know that this is this th my, my, my take on this or my alternative suggestion here is not so much proposing an alternative argument, but more uh, proposing kind of a protocol when uh, discussing uh, uh, tobacco regulation or, or taxation or, 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 or laws, um, which is that uh, much like what we see at conferences, uh, academic, professional, whatever, you know, uh, you, or in uh, publishing research, uh, you know, the, the principal investigators, the authors, whoever, speakers at a conference are, it is customary and uh, I guess in many cases required that they disclose their funding sources. Um, so, uh, I would rather see at the presentation of every piece of legislation or regulation at the state level, at the very least, uh, states, uh, spons bill sponsors uh, must include a disclosure about how much money the state takes in in tobacco revenue. Uh, if you and I have to disclose any kind of income from a tobacco or vapor company as a conflict of interest, then certainly states should be doing the same thing. 
Or uh, pharmaceutical company, not just tobacco, because they have a vested interest in what happens with vaping too, right? Sure. Any yeah. corporate donor that is uh, funding your research organization or whatever, if if we're being required to disclose that, then states should be required to disclose that revenue as well. Uh, and the public should at least be given the opportunity to consider how that revenue might bias pending legislation and policy. Um, that in and of itself, I believe, would be a separate piece of legislation, completely separate from uh, uh, tobacco or, or any substance or drug, uh, pharmaceutical, whatever. Um, so um, that's, that's pretty much that. Um, the MSA stuff, it is complicated because there are nuanced arguments here. Uh, and I think one of the most, uh, uh, the most significant thing about the MSA specifically is the fact that states do not spend nearly the recommended, the, the CDC recommended amount of money on tobacco control. Right. Uh, that's a great point to raise when we're making the argument that the state already has the money and they shouldn't be coming after these new safer products. Um, but uh, ultimately, if we we run the risk, I think, of saying that, well, the existing tobacco control measures are good. They just need to be fully funded. Uh, and that's we don't we don't actually agree with that. Uh, there are a lot of uh, pitfalls and, and bad outcomes that can be attributed to uh, existing tobacco control measures. First and foremost, the unrelenting crusade against safer alternatives. Um, but uh, I have used that a similar argument in the past, which is essentially challenging the state that if you believe the existing tobacco control measures are effective, then fully fund them. Fully fund them with the money you already make off of cigarettes. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, that seems like a more it's it's not impactful. It's not I'm not looking for, you know, uh, Friday Night Raw or whatever the hell. It's just it's a it's a pretty deadpan logical argument that says if you believe in it, put your money where your mouth is. Well, then you see people who make the MSA argument in areas where, you know, local cities and um, some states don't you know, they do use it or they don't have it. You know, or that, you know, they it's you can't use that everywhere and just and I'm not even really sure what what is the argument. Oh, it's all just a big conspiracy. I mean, what what are people yeah, saying? It, I, I, I think, you know, the whole MSA blood money argument is uh, that states are, uh, you know, crushing vapor in favor of uh, continuing to collect as outsized tax revenue from cigarettes and master settlement uh, disbursements, which is oh, based yeah. on. The disbursements Basically, are what the they are, argument. but it's based on on sales. It's based, you know, depending on the company, it's it's based on their market share and so on. Right. Um, so it, it it you know if if cigarette sales are declining, then there's a reduction in tax revenue for sure. Um, but I don't exactly know how that affects MSA disbursements. That's separate. Yeah, it's it's not going to help. I mean, saying for first of all, the whole when you say blood money, it makes you sound like a nut job. You know, I mean, could it be true? Maybe. But I mean, most of these lawmakers aren't seeing that money in any particular meaningful way. I mean, it's a lot of times it's just going into general funds. Um, it does, it does come it, up so. in it, it, it annually when states do their budget, there is usually a line in there for 
how those MSA disbursements are going to be dispersed. Um, right. So it is an annual, there is an annual reminder, of course, that this uh, settlement uh, is, is pumping money into the states. Um, but yeah, like you said, when they show up, I mean, half the time they're all empty, you know, absentee voting. They don't bother being there. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> if you ever seen some of these votes, it's like half the people aren't even there. So, you know, it does. It comes off, you know, Green and Lady said it, it comes off kind of like a conspiracy theory. And even though it is true, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean somebody's not out to get you. Um, yeah, it does. And, and they, they, like, like, you know, I was watching, um, Grim Green and Danielle's uh, talking about this, and he just said they don't, they don't, people don't understand it unless you're an expert. And I think actually Matt said this too on Reg Watch. He's like, unless you're an expert and you can really explain it and you've got the time to explain it, and if you're just on Twitter and clapping back at somebody, they're not going to understand that. You're just going to sound like a nut. You know, you're better off taking an argument. I think you just touched on this of why they've passed all these other laws like tobacco 21 why aren't they just enforcing that why are they not giving that a chance before they start taking all these other things because they don't even know if that worked already you know it's like it's like you're going to fix your car and you know you turn the screw and then you just start ripping out parts of the engine before seeing if just the turn in the screw could have worked you know it's see analogies i do analogies i'm sorry it's who i am you know, but you know what I'm saying? It's that's and so that might be a better argument that we're we they haven't even given a chance to the laws they're passing and they're going crazy on this stuff. Yeah. You know, as far as and and I, I would say MSA taxes, and that was a good point you made too, about if you're looking for month tax money, this is not a good, you know, oh, we need money for this, we need money for this, you know, we're gonna tax it to make sure that we're addressing these issues. And it's like, can we really trust you to do this because you get this money every year from the MSA money? And they can't deny that. So, and you're not spending it on what you're supposed to be spending on it. And you can go look at the, who, who does that? The ranking every year of uh, true, is that truth or is that uh, campaign it's for campaign, I think. You can go look on any website pull up your state and say, this is how much of the money, you know, this is, this is your side. This is tobacco control saying you're not even spending the money that you're getting on the stuff you're supposed to get. And we're supposed to trust you that if we give you more money, a tax money now on these vapor products, you're going to use it for the right thing. You know, that might be a better argument because you're not getting into all the details. You're not saying things like blood money and stuff. And it's very demonstrable because I, you've got this sheet from Campaign for tobacco for kids. I, you know? I, I'll, I'll push back on that just a little bit because someone okay. else already brought it up about the uh, green-eyed lady mentioned the MSA argument simply comes off as conspiracy theory. Neff followed up with comes off as accusatory. That's right. a good way to get people to tune out your message. True. Uh, coming after them and saying that we don't trust you to spend this money properly um, usually just shuts the conversation down. You completely. could soften that. You could soften that by saying your predecessors. Sure. Your predecessors I, had access to this money, and that way it's not on them, yeah. and they can show up their predecessors. So, you know, that could be. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with my guns here, and which is that if you believe in the, if you believe in the tobacco control measures that are in place, then fully fund them. Uh, and that I think right. that's the challenge for states uh, is to put their money where their mouth is and not go looking for additional sources of revenue. Okay, so make and sure I promise we will it. get through this entire list. I absolutely promise you we're going to do this. But if they um, full, if you say then fully fund it and they go, okay, well, we're going to tax vapor products then to fully fund yeah, it. The, the, no, the argument is you don't need any more money. You have it already. 
So use the money you already have to oh, fund the programs that you think are going to be successful. And you, you don't, don't even have to mention more. the word MSA. Yeah. And then yeah. you already, and then piggyback that with, and you already have the laws that you haven't even given a chance with. Let's see how this works first before you just start passing more laws. So those two right. things, I guess, cover that. Okay, let's go yep. on to the next one. <laughs> so uh, the last one from Matt, and, and I'm, we have some to add here, so we're not done yet. Um, the last one is nuanced, says Matt. Uh, but hopefully you'll get my point. While we shouldn't stop explaining how many businesses have been ruined, most people won't care if they think you're selling poison. So you have to get people to understand tobacco harm reduction before complaining about lost revenue. Um, I, 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 I absolutely take Matt's point here. Um, I, I think he's right that you know it's it's on. Unfortunately, it's on all of us <laughs> to try to explain how tobacco harm reduction works and, and make these comparisons to other harm reduction strategies and so on. Um, and typically, or, or historically, um, I have always looked at the um, you know businesses being ruined by these policies uh, as <clears throat> an argument best left to the industry. <clears throat> and so I... I I, I'm not exactly sure. We, we didn't actually talk to Matt prior to doing this, and we, we did invite him to come on, um, but uh, he's unavailable today. Uh, and uh, so I, I'm not exactly sure if this was specifically directed at industry, but um, much like what we were encouraging people to do uh, with regard to the Washington tax bill, um, it's this is really about knowing you got to read the room, right? You got to see what, what committee you're in. If it's a health committee, they don't want to hear about your business. They don't care. Like that said, they think you're selling poison. Um, right. But if you're in a finance committee, industry stakeholders are in the best position, position to bring their numbers and say, here's how many shops I have open. Here's how many employees. Here's the tax revenue. Um, you know, here's here are all of the previously vacant storefronts that we've turned into, um, you know, a bright, shiny place for people to come and, and, and experience these products and, and get get the help they need um, and so on. That is impactful. That that actually is meaningful and, and needs to be that that has to continue, uh, especially, uh, you know, lawmakers sitting in a finance committee have to consider the numbers. Uh, and, and there are there are economic and public health consequences for shutting businesses down, uh, and so that that is um, that is still important. Um, but from coming from me talking about the economic impact of of shutting down vape shops, uh, it, that it doesn't really it doesn't resonate in the same way. Uh, and and you know, frankly, as a consumer organization, we don't really take up those arguments. Um, certainly, if, if if someone in a particular state feels that mentioning that 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 outcome in a letter to a lawmaker, we will include it. But the bulk of our argument really is on the harm reduction side of things, um, and hopefully, um, as it, you know, again, I know the harm reduction arguments are based in science and data, which everybody's eyes glaze over when they have to, to listen to it. But it's it's the facts. It's the truth. We have the truth in the literature. And we are just going to have to keep saying it over and over again until it lands. Um, and, and I think, uh, I, I don't want to put words in, in Matt's mouth, but 
it, it, that seems to me the direction that is the antidote. That's to essentially what he said on on uh, regular reg watch. I think it was is that you know if you're in front of a bunch of uh, you know a, a town board or something that you know is spouting out about saving kids that's not that message of you're closing my business is not going to resonate right. with them. Yeah. It's not. And it does take that, that initial, um, you know, discussion, I guess, of harm reduction, but uh, a point to be made for consumers when talking about shops closing is access to these mm -hmm. products. You know, that's, that's a, a good position that you can take on it. If you know, you're, you don't have access via online sales. You can't get things at home when these shops are, <clears throat> when their doors are being threatened, you know, with, with being closed, um, your access to safer alternatives goes away while your access to deadly combustibles remains widely available. Right. And I think yeah. the, you know, that that's a point that consumers can make in those, those meetings, those hearings when, when you're talking about shops, but yeah, I agree. Like if, if I walk in and I start talking about, you know, my local shop's revenue loss or tax loss, it doesn't, it doesn't ring from me like it would from, you know, the owners or, yeah. or industry. And, yeah. and I, I, I want to add, and we'll touch back on the whataboutisms, you know, I, I think, you know, what you, what you said is, is correct, Logan, and, but a little bit of word of caution here is that I, I think some people may have a tendency to stray into, well, you're not doing it to cigarettes. And that's that's the whataboutism we talked about with alcohol. Sure. Yeah, um, you, you know, we're we're not, not advocating argument. we're not advocating for a ban on cigarettes. Yeah. We've we've taken the position that prohibition doesn't work. So um, it's it's mainly highlighting that 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 discrepancy in in the policy in treating the safer products uh, harshly more harshly than the more dangerous products. It's not yeah. an ad, it's not advocating for um, shutting down or banning sales of cigarettes in convenience stores. It's just- I mean, Imagine if the only place you could buy electric cars was California and they were banned everywhere else, but you could buy gas guzzlers everywhere. Sure. It yeah. makes no sense. <laughs> it just yeah. makes no sense. And, I, and it, you know, this is an argument that I've made on many a show that this is why it's so important for consumers to show up and why it's so important for these shops to rally their customers. I see all the time, you know, I've got all these great customers, all these great customers. I've saved their life. I've saved their life. You got to get them to pay it forward and show up at these meetings. You know, it, they've got to show the human toll and and that will fly a lot further because all they're hearing on the other side is save the kids, save the kids. And somebody's got to say, save the adults, you know, as far as their lives, not their livelihood. And it's not that we're downplaying how important it is because we know it is. And we know that so many of our members, you know, own vape shops or did own vape shops and they were their customers too. And we know that. But as soon as you walk into that meeting or or uh, jump on some thread or something and start complaining about revenue loss and even job losses, which is sad, you know, like the point was made, you know, Danielle said it's if you're peddling poison, they're not going to care about your job. If you're if you're standing on the corner selling drugs that are killing people, you know, which is another false, you know, narrative from that side, from the drug side, you uh, that they're fighting all the time, that image. But just imagine if, if it, that's how they're seeing us you know, or seeing vape shop owners, that you're just peddling poison and you're killing people and Evali and all that kind of stuff. They're just not going to 
be like, so what? You should be shut down. And, and people who are reading the threads are thinking the same thing. So you have to show the human toll of, I can't get, and I've been sharing that stuff on, on our threads and stuff lately is people who are having trouble getting product as consumers because of all these regulations and laws and bans, they can't, they can't get anything these days. And that's the human side. That's, that's what people relate to, you know, I, and getting your family members, getting your kids to come and talk about, I'm so, it's so great. That so dad I, I think, I think we'll touch back on that um, uh, a little bit down the line here. When we start talking okay. about um, arguments for particular political persuasions, I, you raise a really good, it, I, don't, I don't know if you exactly said it, but I, I think you did in, in, in a way, and it, it, it's triggered me to think about this. And so we'll, we'll come back okay. um, to this when we get down here, because there is an antidote to this. Uh, for business owners. Ian, that's a um, whataboutism. So, <laughs> that's um, a whereaboutism. But still, still thing is, where's all the outrage over kids smoking? And I do see this one a lot. And there, there is outrage, and that's why we have the Tobacco is. Control Act. Yeah, there is outrage. And and they, they, they're just lumping us in with that. That's yep. the problem. It's the kids smoking so, outrage after lumping us in with. Okay, go ahead, Alex. I'm yeah, sorry. we're on two hours, and I'm going to get through this because I got to go fix and eat dinner. Okay, hurry uh, up. <laughs> so, <laughs> quick daily daily. In keeping with the theme of uh, keeping this short, I'd like to add a couple things to this list. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, one of the things that we're all we've all heard, and and being on a panel here with two parents. Um, one of the, I think, most egregious things that, that people on our, in our camp say is, well, parents should just be parents. Parents are responsible for their child, and they should be doing this, and they're not doing a very good job. Uh, and, and you can go down all the arguments about how kids are basically just using schools as daycares or whatever uh, it, it, without any, any acknowledgement of the fact that everybody is busy and people are working multiple jobs just to stay alive, and that a parent's life even before they had kids, was probably pretty stressful. So um, heaping all of this on parents as if they are uh, solely responsible for this, I think is a bit of a, a, a weird tack. Crazy. Um, and, and so uh, the suggested antidote here, uh, rather than throwing parents under the bus who are very powerful allies in all of this, and sh or should be powerful allies, uh, because we have parents who smoke. Uh, and as we have highlighted many times before, and it bears repeating, uh, the likelihood of a young person to go on to smoke is largely determined by whether or not their parents smoke. Um, yes. not so misbehaving. as an antidote to this, uh, rather than throwing parents on under the bus, it's important to highlight that parents aren't actually being given the resources they need. Um, the, 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 Criticism directed at both the quality of information presented to parents, which is largely biased towards abstinence-only strategies uh, and promoting a moral approach to discouraging substance use. Um, so, oh, I guess there's supposed to be an and in there, and I didn't write that. So um, anyway, it, all of that to say, parents aren't being equipped to deal with this, and they're being given bad information, bad advice. Uh, and uh, this is, you know, the, the result of living in a, in a punishment based uh, kind of treatment uh, format that, that we're all unfortunately accustomed to. Uh, and also, once again, uh, I am recommending the uh, safety first real drug education for teens from the Drug Policy Alliance, which does 
uh, address vaping along with other substance use. Uh, and of course, that is all about, uh, first of all, parents being able, parents and educators being able to have a conversation with young people and equip them to deal with uh, any adverse consequences from substance use, which includes nicotine. And uh, I don't know how many of us actually spent time in high school, but there was a point in time where caffeine was a real big deal. Uh, and uh, even that is something that people need to discuss uh, openly and honestly as a substance use issue. Um, oh, yeah, you so, see kids drinking Coke and Mountain Dew all the time. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, for the parents in the room, I'll toss it to you. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm in agreement. I, this is a this is an argument that I have not stomached well over the years. Uh, you know, blame the parents. Parents need to parent their children. This whole this is just a gross argument. Uh, parents are not well equipped out there in the world to 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 handle this. I mean, we've seen this through. Um, through drugs, through sex education, all of these things where, where the information given to parents is, is poor, stifled. The education in our institutions is poor and stifled. Um, we're not equipping our kids for the future, for the, uh, you know, things that they're going to be presented with, choices uh, that they're going to be presented with. Um, and it's, it's almost always more harmful uh, than having those open, honest conversations, um, you know, and, and evidence-based conversations with our youth. Um, because when you're not equipped to handle situations, when, when you're told things, you know, um, that cannabis is going to make you jump off of roofs and, and, you know, do all of these wild, crazy things. And then those things don't happen. If, if you decide to take that risk, you go, well, this thing may make me jump off the roof. That's what I've been told. And then you do it and you have a great time. You question everything else as well. Um, and it, it, it's, it really just doesn't lead to any productive, good outcomes. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, I don't believe in blaming the parents. I, I blame the policies. Um, I refuse to blame parents for this uh, for, for any teen or, or youth substance use, whether it's vaping or drugs um, whatever it may be. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a hundred percent behind blaming poor policy, poor education, misinformation, not informing and equipping our youth than, uh, blaming mom and dad who are, are working uh, 40, 50, 60 hours a week to put food on the table and pay the bills. And their only reliable, reliable source of information is the vaping epidemic on the nightly news, you know, uh, so yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't get behind blaming parents for any of this. Uh, like Eddie Teen said, reefer madness. I mean, we're very much in nicotine madness right now. Um, and I, I, I can't blame parents for trying to do their best to protect their children. You know, even, even if they are misinforming their kids, it's not them who's misinforming their kids. They're just playing middleman for the information that they're being given by the institutions that we're supposed to trust. So yeah policy, not parents. Uh, that's, that's my entire take on this. I yeah. just, I refuse to blame parents for, for any of this, whether, yeah, that, whether it's sex or drugs or vaping or rock and roll, whatever it may be. Yeah. And you touched on something that I was going to say is that <clears throat> maybe parents wouldn't be freaking out about their kids vaping if they had the right information about yeah. it. You know, they think their kids are getting brain worms and are going to be addicted for life. And, and, oh, there's another 
I got it. get that. Um, <laughs> they're going to be addicted light, you know, for light, and they're just getting so much. So then that's making them panic and freak out, which is then pushing these policies and groups like PAVE and stuff like that. And if they had the right information, you know, if they knew things like that, most kids who start smoking do so because there's a, a family circle, there's a family line going on there. They're much more likely to start smoking if if their parents smoked. And so they're over, they're panicked, their overreaction on their kids trying some vapor products. If they don't smoke, if there's not a history of smoking or vaping in their family, the chances of that kid going on to becoming a lifelong vapor are almost nil. And they don't know that, so they're freaking out about it. So, so you have, people who are blaming parents have to keep that in mind that that's 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 driving this too. But as a parent who is equipped, completely equipped to address this with her kids, um, and all my kids at one point started smoking. I, I I was a work from home mom. I'm you know I'm here. I was here for my daughter who she's you know she she had vapor products in the house and stuff, and she still ended up smoking in the house, which was clearly a call for help um, <laughs> in the shower, in the bathroom. I don't know what she was thinking, um, but I'm just saying that we're there. We're open. We talk you know, things about sex, drugs, all that kind of stuff. Always have been open with them, talked about the issues with it, you know, really pushed upon them to not smoke and, you know, very communicative, very much got her into therapy and did everything that we possibly could for her. Um, and yet she still did this to me. And yes, she got the vapor product. She got the cigarettes from friends. And so let's do this from a cigarette point of view because the vapor product she eventually got from me to keep her not smoking. But the, the, um, the, this idea when she got these cigarettes, did I blame her friend, you know, for giving them the cigarettes because they were like 14 or 15. No, somebody sold them cigarettes. You know, okay, so most of the chance they're gonna, there's probably they probably stole it, and that's something to keep in mind too. But first of all, I can't watch my kid twenty four seven. Now we did eventually catch them, but did I? You know, I I can't say that there's no adult culpability there. That's not me, because when these kids are going into you know vape shops and buying stuff or going online and buying stuff, that's on the person willing to sell it to them or on the adult willing to give them the product. Who could have just been some other 18-year-old kid who was just barely legal? Yeah, I was just going to say, from the ages of 14 up until 18, it was just my my older friends. Yeah, it's an adult. There's an adult in there involved somewhere, and it's not the parents because somebody broke the law to give that product to that underage kid. So ultimately, it comes down to the adults who are giving that product. And is it usually – and here's the thing. Is it usually a vape shop? No. Nine times out of ten, it's not. It's some other teenager manning a counter at the local, you know, gas station on the corner. That's how they're getting it. But it's still, it's still. You can't sit there and say, "Well, parents should parent," or "Your parents are being lazy." You can be the most conscientious in their life helicopter parent and not know what your teens are doing. Come on, you right. guys. You were smokers when you were teens. Don't tell me you got away with stuff. Without your parents knowing about it, no oh, matter I, I smoked openly. I can't. I can still hear my mom telling me that you need to quit smoking. Yeah. Um, so to, to you know, when I was when I was 15 years old, I do really want to address this really quick. And and I get how easy this is to do to fall into that. Well, we could all we could just blame the lazy. 
parents. Again, this goes back to my point about education, these institutions, schooling, where kids are. They're, they're receiving all of this bad information as well. Uh, so even if parents are lazy, there are other places where our kids go to get educated that are failing them. So it, it's not it's not just lazy parents or this, that or the other parents. Uh, this is this is policy. Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, you can't. And again, that comes back to our earlier discussion about how about enforcing the stuff that you've already passed, Tobacco 21, you know, which I don't think is going to work because kids are going to kid. You know, teens are going to get a hold of stuff no matter how they already can get already marijuana. Yeah, any drug they want, any yeah, alcohol. I had 30 they can packs and it. I would be equipped on a Friday night with two 30 packs of Keystone Light and bare minimum two packs of Newports and or Marb Reds. Yeah, when I, I mean, was real young, yeah. I flipped between and menthol it, and Reds. So, I mean, you know, again. You're not making any friends by from the opposition by yeah. putting that out there. And, yeah. the, and the people who are passing these laws and stuff, we say, you know, the parents, you know, blame the parents. They don't blame us, blame the parents. They're going to look at you like, what? We're trying to help the parents protect their kids from you, you know. So it's it's just not going to ring true at all. And even though we know that they're not usually getting this stuff directly from the vendor, and that might be a better argument. That look at these studies; most of these kids are getting it from either friends, family, um, or somebody older who's buying it illegally. You can't legislate your way out of that. You just can't. They will continue to try. Yeah, it, They've been trying to legislate their way out of a lot of things for a long time. So um, we got a couple more. If we you guys can want us to keep along. going, are we okay? Wrap this up. I mean, this Let's is and this is the last little bits here are arguably the most complicated because they are political leaning specific. Um, and I don't I cannot say that I have the best handle on, on all of the the parsing arguments based on political uh, persuasion. Um, but I, I think really quickly, I, I think, you know, we have found more allies on the right than the left. Um, and a lot of what uh, I think Matt had said this, and, and I think one of the things that, that I've sort of believed for a long time is that um, people on the left actually agree with us. They just don't know it yet. Um, <laughs> That's good point, yeah. And uh, so, you know, the arguments that appeal to the right are very much the, you know, protecting small business. This is a legal product and adults should be able to make a choice. Uh, you mentioned the, economic the impact earlier. Right. The products they consume and, and, and also the economic impact. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's really not hard to nail those down as far as what appeals to the right. But on the left, you know, we do have a lot of work to do to appeal to democratic Democrat lawmakers. Uh, and one of the points that, that Matt brought up, and, and I think that, that we are all sort of moving to, moving toward, is talking about this as a social justice issue. Uh, in particular, this is about access to safer, access to safer alternatives is vital for underserved communities. In particular, people with mental health and behavioral disorders, substance use disorders, low to middle income communities, and generally anyone who works in the food, beverage, and hospitality industry. That's my little PSA for you. Um, That's and, so true and, though. My whole family was in that, in restaurant hospitality and I think we all ended up smoking. So. I know yeah, so exactly. many people that didn't smoke before they got a job at a restaurant and, and like <laughs> picked it up just so they could go outside and take a five. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and, 
and and I think that the next point here it, it sort of sort of dovetails on this is that um, you know progressives are 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 very fond of this sort of David versus Goliath narrative, and that they are standing up for the Davids of the world. And so uh, you know my two cents on all of this has been to say that uh, the, the the progressives and, and liberals and and people on the left have sort of misidentified. Uh, the, the David and the Goliath and all of this. To them, Davids are the kids. Uh, that's that's very, that's that's, that's uh, Captain Obvious has pointed that out plenty of times. Um, and of course, the Goliath are these you know multi-billion-dollar tobacco companies. The reality of the situation is Goliath is the spectacle of public health versus tobacco companies. The Davids in the world are the vape shop owners and the consumers that support them, uh, usually referred to as the vaping community. Uh, we are the ones, we are the primary stakeholders in this, not the kids, not the kids, not, not the parents unless they smoke. The primary stakeholders in this debate are people who smoke, people who quit smoking by switching to alternatives, and people who would like to quit smoking. We are the ones that actually matter in all of this, and we're the ones being crushed by the policies and the arguments against us, not against tobacco companies. They're coming after us. Uh, and so I, I don't exactly know how we sort of reset the narrative here, but I, I, I guess if I could, could wish on a genie in a bottle, that's I, I wish that overnight opponents to tobacco harm reduction could more correctly identify the David and Goliath story. Um, and so I, I, uh, um, I mentioned this earlier, um, and I just, I'll just read what I wrote here. Um, uh, as mentioned, as, as Matt mentioned, uh, the David and Goliath narrative appeals to the left, which is not really unique to the left. Um, but in the case of vaping and THR, the characters are being misidentified. Goliath is a spectacle of public health versus Philip Morris. And David is the vapor industry and the consumers who support it, and probably the children, which you have to spell with three eyes. Um, we've been trying to flip the script for at least a decade now, but a lack of success here doesn't mean we abandon the truth. It just means it's a slow burn that somebody important will feel in their back park pocket, hopefully soon. So, well, I think one way everybody wants to give you a standing ovation. Um, <laughs> In the in the chat, uh, see, here you go. I'm gonna give you give you a few little things there. Here you go. Here's another one. Um, I think one thing that could help with that is to is for us to stop pointing to big tobacco as being that Goliath. Just that because we argue all the time. Now I say we as far as the community. I see it all the time that oh, big tobacco is behind this. Big tobacco is behind this. It's all big tobacco and. And because they don't understand who the real opposition is, that they're so focused on big tobacco as being the enemy, because essentially we were brainwashed since we were little kids from the tobacco control industry or complex or whatever you want to call it, that big tobacco was the enemy. And that's where a lot of people first jump into when they hear stuff's getting banned and, and all that kind of stuff. They think big tobacco is behind it. And they jump on that. And I see it on my on, on Facebook posts all the time when I post things for CASA. And they're like, oh, Big Tobacco is trying to ban it again. And it's like, no. <laughs> you know. And so we're kind of pushing that narrative along every time we join in and jump on Big Tobacco without, you know, so we have to stop doing it ourselves. 
So mm-hmm. I think that would help if we stop jumping on that that narrative and agreeing with it that yeah, big tobacco is the problem, and not mentioning t- tobacco con- control and and it all you know. Does that am I making sense? <laughs> yes, yes, and and I and I, I will say I you know I had a conversation with somebody recently, and and a little light bulb went off in their head when I explained to them that, uh, and and this is also I think an antidote antidote for what your or an alternative argument based on what you're saying here, which is, um, you know, I had to explain to somebody that, you know, what you hear in the media, the coverage of this issue is that, well, tobacco companies own the vapor industry now, like they just came in and and took over everything. And that, that has actually never been true. Yes. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Altria has a 31 or 32% share in uh, Juul. They've uh, inserted their own executives to run the company because uh, the original founders didn't really fully understand what they were getting into. Um, And, uh, and, and uh, you know, Reynolds has, has uh, bought a, a couple of uh, vapor companies, uh, shops and distributors, whatever. That's just business. That's always going to happen. But they didn't gobble up the entire industry. Right. What actually made it so that the larger companies are going to be the only ones selling the, the vapor products is, again, the policies. It's yeah. the policies and regulations that give the advantage to well-heeled industries that can afford the process. Um, and so that I think is, is a much more constructive way of, of illustrating the imbalance here and not making, we don't have to make tobacco companies the enemy. We don't have to pretend to be on the side of the tobacco controllers and, 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 and we don't have to, to throw tobacco companies under the bus in order to get there. They're already under the bus, man. Right. Everybody knows that tobacco companies are the boogeyman. Um, but they, as we have argued in the past, have a vital role to play in dispersing these harm reduction, you know, making sure, distributing these harm, harm reduction products, putting them in the same places where cigarettes are sold. I want to see the views directly com- contribute, com- compete with other cigarettes that are sold by right on the same rack. You know, that right may there. not be a, a very warm and fuzzy discussion around the boardroom table, but that's what they have to do. That's what they yeah. need to do. Uh, and if you're going to get them to stop selling cigarettes, you have to let them sell something else. Exactly. And you have to allow for the competition from the smaller companies. The, mm-hmm. It's the diversity. It's the it's the homegrown industry that that took the fight to tobacco companies doorstep. Oops. The industry is actually capable of hitting tobacco companies in the wallet, which is what all of this policy and regulation was intended to do. But instead of actually doing that, it's just given them a safe harbor. And now, of course, the first vapor product authorized for sale by the FDA under these regulations is made by R.J. Reynolds. Right. Yeah. Who would have saw and that? It was their, yeah. yeah, right. Cool and it was their policies, their efforts, the, the tobacco controls efforts, that is what made that happen. Exactly. You know, all they're griping about flavors guaranteed that it was going to be a tobacco flavor that was covered, you know, I mean, or that was um, authorized first. So yeah, we need to stop acting like big tobacco. I mean, okay, the, the tobacco industry is not necessarily our friends as far as if you're a vape shop and they're competing with you on that front. But if consumers keep saying the boogeyman is big tobacco, then we're only bolstering the tobacco controls argument that all these policies have to be put in and that 
because the tobacco industry is so uh, joined in or you know infiltrated the vape industry that really they're we're fighting when we're fighting vape stuff we're fighting big tobacco so you're but every time we blame big tobacco we're just bolstering tobacco controls fight against us so that's and why we need to stop <laughs> you're 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 reminding me of something else which is not really a specific argument here but i know that you've talked about this a lot over the years it's probably one of the earliest things i heard when i was uh, appointed to the board of kasa um and even just being a volunteer which was be careful about some of the arguments that we're presenting or some of the science that we're using rather than advocating on our behalf, we're actually validating the nonsense that, that some of this stuff is saying. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, you know, I think specific examples were, of course, uh, secondhand smoke, of course, and as, on, yeah, as, as Kristen you know, highlighted, as, as we've talked about those, uh, that has been uh, applied to vaping. Uh, and and you know, all of those arguments that you think are going to be productive actually end up just validating them and, and working this against is, us. And something just popped in my head. This is one of the cases where the enemy of our enemy is not our friend. <laughs> you know, it, it's not because, you know, I mean, if you consider big tobacco to be our enemy and tobacco control is their enemy and you think that's going to be our friend, they're not. They're, you know, equally our enemy. And I would argue that tobacco control is a much bigger enemy to us than big tobacco is much, much, much bigger. You yeah, know, I, 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 really well, around. we should be looking the enemy of our enemy as our friend. Big tobacco is more of our friend because <laughs> they're, because tobacco control is both our enemy. That's how they see us. They need to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just a little bit of, you know, sort of correcting that perception, of course, is what we've been saying. I'll say it again. You know, the tobacco companies absolutely have a role to play in, in this harm reduction movement. They need to be part of this. It's a, it's a, it, this is, that is probably the most efficient way to get these products in the hands of people who can benefit from them. Um, and, and really, I guess if we're picking enemies, you know, it's probably a lot of these people working for marketing agencies that are actually the enemy here. Um, yeah, these are the people that are making decisions about the messages. They're talking about how to promote them, how to craft them. It's, it's lobbying firms, it's, it's marketing people, it's lawyers. They're the folks that are doing it. They're just doing a job. They, they, they show up to work. This is what they're trained to do. Uh, I'm sure that some of them actually believe in the movement that they were behind. But for the most part, these people are just getting paid to do what, you know, what their job is. And that is make a compelling argument that's with, that is going to appeal to people's base instincts. Uh, and, you know, everybody with a, you know, you can read the message in, in 30 seconds and get it and take it to your next dinner party and tell people how against tobacco you are. That's the enemy. And, and if just a just a I don't know piggyback off that. Um, have you ever seen the movie Thank You for Smoking? Oh yeah, many. It's times. a really good demonstration of this. The movie, the title is a little misleading. I mean, it is about smoking, but it's more about lobbyists and lobbying than it really is about smoking. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of if anybody's ever seen that, if you haven't seen that yet, and you kind of want to see what Alex means by you know it's it's lobbyists, like watch that movie. It's it's uh. It's actually really good. Oh yeah, it's excellent. I don't remember when it came out, but it's it is pretty good. 90s, yeah, I've seen it. Okay, like so Ian Thomas says, side note, if U.S. smoking rates are declining, what is the current death rate from smoking? 480k has been touted for years. I think that's down to 385 now. 
I don't know. First of all, that number is uh, an overestimation. It's, Second yeah, of all, um, you know, when secondhand smoke, <laughs> I got I got involved in all of this at a, 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 a in well, I joined the board in 2014. Uh, and just prior to that was the 50th anniversary of the Surgeon General's report on smoking and health. And uh, they noted at, during that anniversary that um, the reason that the number hasn't really gone down is because they're finding that uh, there are many more diseases attributable to smoking. And they added some things to that list. And so there were more people included in that. Um, now, I, you know, look, we say that you know, that 480,000 number, it's not entirely made up, but it is pretty much an estimate. Uh, that's not a real number. Uh, well, especially because so, it includes secondhand smoke deaths, which is estimated to be about 30 or 40,000 of that, usually around 30,000 of that. And that's right. a completely made up number because there is no, <laughs> they don't track people who die from secondhand smoke. So they, they, and, they have no way of knowing that. And of course, you know, it's, it's one of the, it's a, there's, a, there's sort of this crisis of, of, of reporting where, you know, I fully expect that, you know, when I die, I'm going to be logged as uh, uh, someone who died because of a smoking attributable disease. Uh, and, and so, you know, even if that isn't really the cause, it's just, if you have a history of smoking, you get counted as a dead smoker. Um, right. And so that's another reason for why the number is is not really going down at all. Um, yeah. I, it and looks I like we lost Logan, but he's he still go, here. He had to go. He said he'd be right back. Okay. Um, I think really quick, because I think we're getting towards the end. Um, so sort of recap, let's do kind of a recap, because a lot of these have come out saying, don't say this, don't say this, don't say this. Right. So let's let's try to do a really quick recap of what you maybe would be better arguments to use. So we started off on the MSA instead of MSA. It's kind of like that, that those videos don't eat this, eat that. Let's do, don't say this, say that. Right. <laughs> so rather than MSA, uh, we could talk about. It's, it's the fact that the state already has the funding and right. does not spend it in the way it has been advised to spend it. Uh, this is particularly uh, useful in arguments about taxation. Uh, the point is, uh, rather than trying to come up with additional revenue sources to fund tobacco control programs, which is usually what the money is, is dedicated to in, in this legislation, it's worth reminding the state that it already takes in millions of dollars from tobacco taxes in addition to whatever it gets from the master settlement agreement. Also, uh, just to recap, uh, it's a separate kind of initiative, if you will. Uh, I, I'm not spearheading it, but um, this idea that states should routinely disclose when discussing new tobacco policies, the amount of money that they take in based on cigarette sales. That's tax revenue and MSA disbursements. That's all income. Uh, and it should be clearly stated what that money is funding before considering uh, new regulations on smoke-free alternatives. Period. Whether it's a whether it's a tax bill or a public health bill, that that income to the state should be disclosed as a, as a potential conflict of interest. Right. And I and I suggested another argument that could be made is um, that they haven't given the laws that have been passed a chance yet. Right. To actually yeah. work. If you believe in it, fully funded. 
Yeah. And if you believe in fully funded and, and start implementing it, start, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, enforcing it, start enforcing yeah. this stuff and give people the tools to do it, but enforce it. Um, so, and then we went um, on to the, did you have a, are we doing a recap? No, or we, I, I was going to keep going with the recap. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then the next thing was, so I think I can do this really quickly. Um, okay, what about isms, the antidote for what about isms is more focusing on the policy. Uh, focus on the policy, focus on the policy outcomes. If, if the policies are, are leading to bad or mediocre outcomes, then let's, let's talk about it. If we know that policies applied to certain other issues of substance use uh, are failing, that's, that's what needs to be highlighted, not what are you gonna do about this other thing that's really dangerous. Uh, it's, it's all about the policy. Um, and then uh, the the last point I think, I think that, that that Matt brought up and we discussed. Well, not, it's not the last point, but uh, this you know sort of playing the blame game with parents. Again, this is an issue of policy. It also includes uh, education uh, and providing parents with the resources they need to have a constructive uh, and useful conversation with their kids about substance use. Um, uh, and then of course, um, and again, that comes back to enforcement too. You know. Because if you're going to say, well, kids are getting their hands on these things, again, that comes back to enforcement. Parents can't stop I, these places from selling stuff. I, I, I will say, you know, we kind of got to thread the needle on that one, too, uh, right. with enforcement, because a lot of people are inclined to say, well, yeah, you got to punish the kids who break the law. Oh, yeah. No, that's not what I meant. That, <laughs> Definitely. That, well, I, I, I know. And, and I, I just want to make sure that we're, right. we are being clear about that, that we, yeah. are, we yeah. don't advocate for possession use and, and purchase use and possession laws. We advocate against them. Uh, because that is, again, more drug war, fear and punishment based policy that does not work. Uh, and and there are many resources. there are many states, yeah. many, many states that still have PUP laws uh, and vapor is being folded into those PUP laws. And we really shouldn't expect any different outcomes. You end up like the boardwalk incident. I mean, it's right. It's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, we don't yeah. we don't agree with that. So yeah, that was not that was not one of that points, but right. Yeah. And then the other one was uh, businesses going in right. and talking about your business and how you're losing money. It's probably better to take that from a different standpoint of saving lives. Get your customers to show up. Um, oh, I get them to I, do sorry. testimonials on our website. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, I missed a point I wanted to make about this. You, you remind me of this in, in, in talking about um, the shop owners. Um, shop owners do have a, a really important story to tell. Uh, most of the shop owners that we've interacted with are people who quit smoking by switching to vaping. And that's why they went into business. It's they important to tell that story. Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 as, you're not a big as, tobacco as, outlet. As, as we are, you know, encouraging shop owners to get involved and bring their customers into these hearings if they can. As we've noted, people have jobs during the day. They're not always available for committee hearings. So don't be so hard on people. Um, Especially when they're all on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. Exactly. Right. Um, but shop owners themselves have their own personal stories yeah. about their motivations for going Absolutely. into business. And I think that's very, very important for, for Tell, businesses to bring up. Yeah. Like, and like you said, read the room. So it depends on if you've got, if they're all talking about, if you're sitting, if you go up and they've been talking about taxes, 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 and revenue and all that kind of stuff, might be good to say, hey, my business brings in X amount of dollars. If we're talking about save the kids, save the kids, save the kids, come up and say, look, this saved my life. You know, you have the option of doing both. 
and coming off more as being, you can, you can choose to come up and approach things as either a business owner or consumer, because most of you guys are consumers too. So, and most of you got into this business because it was saving your life. So that's a very important story to tell. So say that instead, maybe. (laughs) And then the last thing. So the last, the last thing was, you know, arguments tailored to political persuasions. Again, we need to flip the script on the David and Goliath narrative. uh, And of course, focusing on how, uh, people from underserved communities actually smoke at disproportionately higher rates, and they absolutely deserve honest, honest, honest information about safer alternatives and, of course, access. Um, and so that, I think, wraps up the recap. But I, well, something just occurred to me because you're talking about Dave and Goliath and Bloomberg popped into my head. So do you think <laughs> it's a valid or is that too? I mean, he's very open about the fact that he's spending all that money, you mm-hmm. know, so do you think it's a valid argument to make to, to, as I hold to kind of put us more in that David camp of saying, look, we barely have any money to fight all these laws and we're fighting against things like Bloomberg's millions and he donated X amount of dollars, which is public knowledge. It's in the news. It's, you know, nobody, it's not like, can't be a conspiracy theory or whatever. A lot of people might've heard of that. So how do you feel about that? I, I mean, you know, look, uh, this is the only job I've ever had where my salary is actually just public information. Um, well, I guess that's not true, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, we have to disclose what we get paid. Uh, we disclose what we take in. It's not a lot, folks. Um, and we do accept money from tobacco companies. We accept money from vapor companies. We accept money from anybody who agrees with our mission. Um, and so... Uh, but what people may not realize is that that's a one-way conversation and it goes like this. The donor says, how do I give you money? And we say, here's all the information you need. Thank you. We appreciate your support. That's it. There are no meetings about how we need to craft our talking points to suit their agenda. Absolutely not. I have never had a conversation with anybody at a tobacco or vapor company. Actually, I'd probably be more likely to have a conversation with somebody at a vapor company than tobacco company about what we are supposed to say and what position we're supposed to take. Absolutely never had that conversation. I have only ever had industry people say, here's what we're thinking. I know this may not jive with what you're doing, but just wanted to kind of let you know and see where you stand on that. That's it. No, we have never been pressured to accept a particular policy position ever, except for probably people in the vapor industry. Uh, but but then other the other than that, Bloomberg's money comes with a whole lot of strings exactly. attached. Exactly. And it comes with a whole lot of money, too. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know that I can go through that hypothetical and say, well, you know, I guess if somebody paid me a million dollars, I would just I would still reject it. I don't know. No one's ever offered to pay me a million dollars. Um, so I, I, I can't honestly say that. But, um, you know, I just to be clear, uh, we're not taking marching orders from tobacco or vapor companies. Uh, and uh, and I think that's probably well reflected in the money that we take in. Uh, Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's this is a this is a shoestring grassroots operation. I don't know what Pave makes, but I would be willing to wager that they take in more money than we do from individual, like you know, from Bloomberg people. From and they probably pay their board members too. Money. I bet. You know, even if they don't give them money, they've lifted them up, you know, to national exposure. It was Pave through through the lobbying efforts of the body parts groups and campaign to go get a seat in front of a, a, a committee in Congress. No one came to ask the real consumers about this. The closest we got to that was Vicki McKenna. 
She's a conservative radio talk show host. Hey, in Wisconsin, be nice. Hey, whatever. She <laughs> doesn't represent all of us. Right? I'm not saying I would have done a good job, but you it's like, money. you know, the the regular people, the only regular people in that hearing were the kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, this has almost been three hours. I'm glad yeah. that we were able to kind of break all this down and drill into some of the nuances. And I'm sure there's some arguments that we missed. Um, yeah. If you want, you know, leave a comment in the comment section uh, and, you know, maybe we'll come back to this at a later time. This is a really interesting topic. Obviously, this has been going on for a couple of weeks here at the beginning yeah. of the year, at the beginning of the legislative session. It's good at the beginning of the session that we're getting, you know, we're getting armed with with more credible arguments and talking points. Right. Uh, and hopefully some of this will land that none of this has been presented as like, oh, this is going to be a slam dunk. They're totally going to they're going to be on our side after you say this. Not at all. Uh, again, I, I, I'll, I'll reset the table here and say this is a long haul kind of effort. We're in this for another 10 years at least. Uh, and, and hopefully with the acceleration of, of discoveries and research and science and technology and all of these things, we don't have to wait 10 years. Uh, I would love for at some point this year, somebody of you know high stature comes out and says, I, I am changing my opinion on all of this vaping stuff and tobacco harm reduction. I just watched my kid go back to cigarettes, following all of your advice, adhering to the policies and promoting them and all of this stuff. It's not, it's not productive. It's actually harming people, and we need to give harm reduction a chance. That is yeah, entirely come on, Raja, where are you at? Yeah, exactly. You know, where are his kids? I mean, you got to be messing around. Flip a few opinions out there. And we yeah. just, you know, and I'm sorry this did go long tonight. Uh, it's just that we because this is sort of our mission is helping inform people and helping you guys advocate for yourselves. We didn't want to just come into this and, and just kind of pile on the don't do this thing without giving options. To, it's kind of our job to make sure that you guys have help you say stuff. And if you guys need help with anything, if you're trying to go into a meeting or do whatever, we're here for you in any way we can be to help you write stuff up or or got you know guide you to the things that we already have on our website, whatever it is you need, because that's that's what we do. Our, we're here to help educate people on the truth about these alternatives, and that includes our own members who often don't know the whole story themselves. Sure. So yeah, and if you ever have questions like this, if you're going into a you know a meeting or or whatever it may be, tag us on Twitter. Tag Kasa Media on Twitter. Tag Alex. I mean, all of our handles are up on screen right now as well. It's up on, on Facebook Twitter. Messenger. You know, um, a lot of us are on Twitter pretty regularly throughout the day um, and things like that. So, yeah, if you've got questions, if you've got something coming up, you've got a meeting tomorrow and, you know, uh, you're wondering some talking points, how to present certain things, whether or not you think an argument is good or maybe you want to refine it. If we can help with that, tag us, add us, let us know. Um, we're absolutely happy to uh, to help you be better prepared. One one last word, and then we'll wrap this up with with Logan Spiel here. Um, Spiel. I, I I I will say, um, you know, generally speaking, first of all, we're all new to this. Uh, the only seasoned veterans of this government relations work that I've met are lobbyists and think tank people, uh, folks who were on this career path already. Uh, they have a lot of wisdom and background and experience, um, and but they're even new to this as well. Anybody that's ever had to train up a lobbyist knows. Anybody that's ever seen a, a lobbyist sort of fail miserably in talking points in a committee hearing, particularly in California, 
Um, it knows that, that, you know, this takes some time. And so just be easy with one another. There's no reason to go out and shout people down who are continuing to make these arguments. Uh, it, is, it is really, I will speak from my personal experience. This is a lack of experience. Uh, and we are all new to this. And, and so be patient with your fellow advocates and try to carry some of that patience into uh, our day-to-day -day advocacy efforts. Uh, people don't like being called on the carpet. People don't like being uh, 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 talked down to or uh, this, this gotcha stuff. Uh, it makes for great TV, but it doesn't really make for good coalition building and resolving problems. Um, so be easy. And, uh, and take care of one another. And thank you all. Thank you, Logan and Kristen, for this excellent discussion. Thank you, everybody in chat, for participating. Uh, and like I said, if you guys think of any more weird arguments that just aren't landing properly, drop it in the chat, uh, and, and we'll try to try to do another one of these sometime, I'm sure. This might garner a, blo a blog post, too. Might be a say this, not that type of blog post. Might not be a bad thing. Sure. Cool. Cheers to you. Thanks, you guys, Cheers. for coming up. Right. That's going to do it. Get a thing. So, two hours and fifty-one minutes. Awesome. We were long this week, but oh, we, it, it's it's got, an important we, topic. Really we have is. to have we have to have one more topic here because we haven't made it to three hours. No, 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 no. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Thank you again. Just like Alex said, thank you guys uh, for tuning in. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for supporting Casa and supporting uh, you know harm reduction, supporting people, supporting each other. Uh, if you are not yet a CASA member, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but you're doing it wrong. Become a CASA member. Uh, it's absolutely free. Just head over to CASAA.org. <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys. Um, <laughs> but do it for real. Become a member. If you're not and you're here right now, leave and go become a member immediately. Uh, it's absolutely free. Share your story in our testimonial page. We've got like 13,000 plus. We're well on our way to a million, but we can't do it without you. Uh, so please go ahead over to Kassad.org and do all the things. Uh, do we have, is there a, uh, do we have something called to action that you want to highlight really quick before the end? Uh, Sometimes no, I do. don't think so. Okay, uh, cool. I'll move yeah. swiftly along then. Yeah. Um, for podcast listeners, there will be two episodes available. They're basically the same thing, but one is a shorthand version of just the legislative rundown with all of those early heads ups that Alex gave today. All that word of mouth inside scoop kind of stuff. It's not really an inside scoop, but all those uh, calls to action heads up that Alex talked about during the legislative rundown will be available in a short version. And then the full version, this two hours and 53 minutes now version will be available to you as well. Um Check out our merch. Danielle Jones, uh, our board president, worked really hard on some new merchandise, some new designs that are really cool. So go get yourself some swag. That's also a really great way to support us um, as far as donating, things like that go. Merch is a really cool way to do that. And you get a cool nifty t-shirt or, or whatever, uh, whatever suits your style. And I think that's it. I think that's it for my spiel. We're back next week, right? I believe so. Well, okay. I'm I haven't heard any. Nobody's had any. Had any uh, I'm not sure if my my grandbaby's coming to visit, so we'll find that out. And so maybe maybe we'll have a guest host, or maybe just be you two guys next week. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, me and Alex can't do this show on our own. I might have to see that. my grandbaby though. <laughs> well, maybe I'll bring her on the show. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Save you guys, the children. Everybody have a good week. You can literally present a child when you're like, "We're saving the children." <laughs> right, this one right here. Oh, jeez. All right, everybody. Uh, Take care of each other. Be excellent. 
to each other. Be safe out there. And we will be back next week, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 over on the other coast. You know, you got to figure it out for anywhere in between. Yeah. 3.30 where? Where I am. Central. Yeah. Where Kristen is. You got to do a <laughs> where in the world is Kristen to figure Fly out. Yeah, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. We're out of here. Take care of each other. We'll see you next week.